0: Power Canadian lifters. Pure passion, real results, what you put in your body should matter. Pure Vita Labs PVL supplements are clean, tested, and approved, powering athletes for over 25 years. They also power the KOTL Podcast. You could trust PVL. Use code KOTL15 for partnership pricing at PVL.com. Six pack lap of that. Tori's going to join us with Rory the Lynchpin, Arian Messi, Kamessi. And uh, this is the year end review. We could do some awards. And while we're doing it, because there's a lot of us, we can give out honorable mentions and say if you're split. And um, we got a lot of different categories. Some categories are going to be discussions, some categories might be straightforward and might not. But let's start off the top. I think everybody. Wants to know whom the lifters of the year are. So I'm going to give the lifters of the year. I put it up to a vote by the community, thousands of people giving their vote. So there's us whom we we think mighty highly of our opinion, right? Because we're experts in this, and then the community who is a mixture of experts as well as casuals. So take it for what it's worth, and that's the same in every fucking sport. So whatever. So first, do we give the polls or do we go to ours? Do Let's start with
1: the polls and then oh. go to us.
0: All right. All right. Let's see what the polls say. For the... Um, we'll start off with the untested male lifter of the year. None other than John Hack quick recap for john hack um i mean he he took the landslide it was a landslide 91 of the poll voted for john hack john hack took the all-time world record in a 90 kilo class 100 kilo class took the bench press world record in both 90 and 100 kilo class deadlift world record in the 90 kilo class freaking a 600 pound bench press deadlift 410 kilos 904 pounds John Hack establishing himself as the number one world record in ninety kilo, one hundred kilos. Two different weight class dominance there. I mean, it was John Hack's year in the untested, and some people will tell you it was John Hack's year. Period. In terms of being the most dominant in powerlifting, period for twenty twenty two, you could definitely argue whether tested or untested might be John Hack, but definitely in the untested, it was John Hack's year, and um, that's what the polls say. I'll throw of this out there right now. That's what I got as well. And what do you, do you guys have anybody else besides John hack and the untested?
2: That's who I had as well.
0: <laughs> okay. This is what I was thought. It was, that was probably the most unanimous of decisions we could have. Um, less. So in terms of unanimous now is going to be the tested. This is going to be highly contested as this might be debatable in here. So, The polls, believe it or not, this was interesting because I had to put on polls where you could see the percentages and then polls where you just voted for the proper answer, right? So people could see percentages on four of the lifters I had, but another four lifters you couldn't see. Tied for second was Taylor Atwood and Bob Matthews. First place voted by the powerlifting community. Jesus Olivares. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I did not see that coming.
2: I did not see that coming.
0: Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> it was a little bit surprising. Um and it was a, it was it was close, but it was healthy. It wasn't like um I mean obviously you don't get fucking recounts, but uh it was It was a decent enough lead. And, um, so what are your guys' thoughts? Let me get your impressions and I'll tell you why I, I'm going to go a certain way with it and explain, but, um, Arian, why don't you kick us off? Who was your male lifter of the year tested?
2: Mine was uh, Bob Matthews just based on his multiple performances. So he had the nationals where he got first place in his weight class and he had the, um, Highest dots there, and then the Virginia Pro, where he hit a PR total there. He won the, the Virginia Pro as well, highest dots, and he has the the highest dots for the year for all the men. Also, just looking at the Pro Series overall for this year he's tied with the uh, celine crumb for having made the most money for this year so in the pro series which is like the new thing for usapl and what matters he's also the top person there so for jesus he had a, a great year winning nationals and worlds and having that great performance at nationals but then he had like a little bit of a down performance at worlds and didn't get the sheffield spot so that's why i put bob in over jesus or taylor or someone else
0: rory
1: I'm going to preface this by saying that I didn't pick a male and a female best lifter. I picked a best best a lifter of the year overall. And the person that I picked for lifter of the year for the year overall was a woman. So none of these people were actually uh, on my list at all. Yeah, um, well, they, but if I was going to pick a okay, male ahead, lifter sorry. of the year, I probably would have picked Taylor Atwood. Um, and I find it a little like, I think Jesus is a great lifter, but I think it's a, a, li- a little bit surprising to me that people would put him ahead of uh, Atwood put him ahead of Bob Matthews. I think those are both like great choices, and like would should definitely be in the conversation. Um, yeah, so but but I would probably go with Taylor Atwood.
0: Interesting. Um, do you want to say why Taylor?
1: It, it's very hard to find somebody else in the tested side. I think possibly on the untested, we could say John Hack as uh, like similarly dominant, um, but there's no one else even close to taylor atwood right like he uh highest good lift points of a male ever um highest ipf dots highest wilks like he was just highest on 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 every measure right and in addition to all of the formula and all the things you can use for that he's just 60 kilos or more ahead on total ahead of like basically anybody else right like if taylor atwood wasn't at the world championships the winning total wouldn't be sort of High seven hundreds, low eight hundreds. It would be, I think, was it twenty twenty one that he wasn't there, and the winning total was seven twenty seven. It was like seventy kilos off what 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 he's hitting, and like that's nothing against these lifters. These lifters are great, and like I'm really happy that Alex um, Alexander Ericsson won that year. Like that that was really cool, but he's a long, long long way off Atwood still.
0: Here's what I would say. Um, for 2022 accomplishments, he didn't hit all those formula peakings. That was 2021. So, just 2022, you're right. If I, if you're going to put a gun to my hand and say who's, who's number one in powerlifting, period, I'd say it's still out until someone overtakes him. Um, he obviously held back at world. So, um, so for that, I'm one, I, I think he's number one in the world still. But in terms of 2022 and this will be all powerlifting, not just IPF. So there is someone a lot closer in, the, in all the powerlifting if you want to throw in the 75 kilo people, Perkins. Now Perkins is still going to be behind Taylor. I think Perkins also hit a 790, but Taylor went across the world and sleptwalked a 790 at RP7, purposely staying underneath his world record and rattled everybody how easy he did 790. Whereas Perk, you know, he's not doing that. So I would, it's still, to your point, he's, well ahead of everybody else all of his peers for sure
1: i i have to i have to give him extra props for staying under the world record total and making it look so easy right like particularly because sheffield gives you extra money if you break a world record on total or on discipline like there is there are tactical advantages to not shattering every record at every opportunity um and i so and so to me it's actually a good thing that taylor has done that like i think that that is worth that's worth extra for him, in my oh, opinion. like he, no
0: he he held back in twenty twenty two to have an absolutely blow the dar- the barn doors off twenty twenty three. If you win Sheffield, if yep, he wins yep. World Championships and Sheffield, he'll be like, well, thank you very much. I think uh, you know we'll be halfway through the year, and I'm going to collect my award. But,
2: but- even. <laughs> Even then, if you just compare uh, Rory's pick, Taylor, to your poll of Jesus, they both won nationals, they both won worlds, but Taylor won best lifter at worlds. So you should be putting Taylor above Jesus if you're thinking it like that way. Um, but obviously, there's a lot of lifters out there as well that top both of them, I think.
0: You win best lifter based off of formula zone. It really does...
2: But but also then you go, okay, well, did they break any world records? Both of them didn't break any world records. You know, Zeus had, uh, you know, injury going in. He had an off day. Taylor held back on purpose. So then, like, what other metrics are you using if you have the titles and you're looking at PRs and you're looking at points? What else are you going to look at?
0: I'll, I'll, I'll go last. <clears throat> Sorry,
3: let's see what you got. <laughs> I also, like, the first person that came to my mind was Bob Matthews for – lifter of the year because of all the points Aaron gave like all of his accomplishments this year was like stuff that we haven't seen before so that was super impressive and then obviously his he has the like, highest dots for this year um I I want to say Taylor Atwood because <laughs> because of his performance at Worlds and he is was still like best male lifter even with like being injured and everything but I also I think Jesus is a very good pick from the community because usually the, like, super heavyweights aren't favored on point systems. So I think it's impressive with his injuries as well that he was still able to, like, make it into, like, being known as, like, one of the best lifters this year. So Bob Matthews, that's mine.
0: (laughs) And those fucking judges at Worlds. Hey, those hey, judges hey, hey, that hey, hey, worlds for the i've already got
1: in trouble for that all right we don't need to bring that up. <laughs> that's,
0: fair, that's fair that's fair that's a news story of the years <laughs> those fucking ju- all right L- let me give my pick and and i'll break this down a little bit initially i was leaning heavy on bob matthews for all the reasons already stated i won't regurgitate everything but for everything in terms of uh best lifter at mega nats number one on dots you know the pro series etc um phenomenal stuff but here's what tipped it away from bob matthews for me i i i'm fine with using formulas if you want to compare pound for pound this guy and that guy that woman and that woman fine two different weight classes if they're two different weight classes, how do you compare Jesus to Taylor? How do you do these things? You come up with formulas, and that's fine. And formulas change over years. So, one year you use this formula, Jesus is ahead. The other year you use that formula, Taylor's ahead. And historically, the significance will change every freaking year using different formulas. So, I'm, but if you're comparing people from different weight classes, you have to do it. But if I look at Bob Matthews, the reason why I tipped slightly away is because when I look in his weight class, he's the third, he's ranked number three when we finish out 2022. Heenan Lee is in his weight class and he's ahead of him. Ashton is in his weight class and posted a bigger total. Bob Matthews on a calculating formula was number one, but number three in your weight class and your lifter of the year, that doesn't seem right to me. Like like Taylor Atwood can't come in number three in the seventy fours, but because he weighed a little bit less, his the calculator formula said he's number one, and I'm going to give you lifter of the year. I can't do that. I can't do that. You can give me a formula if you want to go different weight classes, but if it's in the same weight class and I got two other guys who out totaled you in the same year, very difficult for me to say you're lifter of the year. But
3: not do it. That that was the I think kicker for it's difficult me. Difficult to put Keenan Lee a. Up- Bob, though, because he posted up his total at like a local meet that were kind of unsure of the judging, like the standards there. Right. But like Bob and Ashton went head to head. And you can argue that maybe Ashton like was didn't have like a, an amazing day, but like they still competed against each other. And like Bob came out ahead. So like that would be why I would put him above well, both Ashton and Keenan. Well, here
0: let me let me say something. No, <laughs> let me wrap up what I'm saying, though. Um Excellent point. And that's why Keenan Lee is not my number one as well. well that's exactly it. So what I'm you, saying is... Okay, go I am just going
2: to say, before you pick your number one, Bob Matthews' weight class is 100 kilos. He won nationals at 100 kilos. He has the number one total in the year in the 100 kilos. He just happened to go 101.4 for the Virginia Pro. And at 101.4, he has the third best total in that weight class. And that's why he has the highest dots as well.
0: On the flip side, Keenan also was. So let's pull these guys up.
2: But Keenan's only done, yeah, 110, and as Tori says, local meets. He did uh but, meeting South but, Korea, Hong Kong, and then South Korea again.
0: But Keenan, if we're going to do the body weights, and I get it, he was 100 kilo. Keenan, though, weighed in for his 97.5. He weighed in at 102.9. Bob was... 98, 98 like, and
2: then 101.4, and he did it in the biggest meets in USAPL.
0: Right, so look, I'm not saying I'm saying it's not Keenan, but what I'm saying yeah. Keenan's like two kilos more, and i totally am. Ashton was 103, Keenan's 102. None of these guys are 1010s. All these guys can make 100 kilo, like 102.9. I got that looks like a hundred kilo guy who didn't cut. And look, I'm not saying. Let me just say something. I'm not saying those two guys are ahead of Bob. I'm saying Bob's ahead of them. Like, like I think you guys are thinking I'm arguing. I got. Alright, let's hear your number one. <laughs> what I'm saying is. His to <laughs> Rory's point, to Rory's point where you could say Taylor's head and shoulders of everybody in his weight class, I don't think you could say that with Bob. And it's very tight and arguable. Um, I think of those guys, Bob is still number one, but it's 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 very tight. So, anyways, um, and then as for Taylor, him going at someone RP eight at worlds was great. But um, I think 2023 is gonna go all out again, just like we've seen in 2021. So that'll be the year. For me, I agree with the public that Jesus Oliveras is the number one, and the reason why his performance at PA Nats was fucking it, it, it like it was. I remember afterwards, after it was all over, and this was no head to heads, I gotcha, but his when we have the super heavyweight champion doing what he did. And now everybody's talking about all time historical, you know, numbers. He's right close to Ray at 23, at 23 years old. He did that. Um, I mean, it's, uh, I, I, for me, I think he's made, he's got people extremely excited. He's, uh, it appears as though we're at the beginning of a possible dynasty here. And he's by far, he's the strongest. I know it's, uh, it's, it's early. It's two world championships. But like a shaking his head. But my man is the strongest man in tested and you could maybe argue even untested, depending on how close he can get to Dan Bell. It's crazy. He could be the strongest man, period, in powerlifting. Now he didn't do he that's could be. Let's just take a look at what he did do at what he did 11 10 at 23 years old in just in just sleeves. I'm squatting just, I mean, eight pounds below a thousand pounds. It was, it's a sensational performance. Regardless of he hit PRs at worlds, he still retained his title under adversity, injured, just like Taylor, not at a hundred percent fine, but he still clinched it. I'm going to go with Jesus Olivares. I think the big boys usually, at least these formulas being used, aren't going to get that love. It's going to be very difficult for the big boys to get the love of dots and GL points. So if we just do it off of that, it'll never be one of the big boys, I don't think. Or it'll be very difficult anyways. I'm leaning towards Jesus. The
2: the dots seem to be, I think the dots I'm looking up right now seem to be better for uh, heavyweights than GL points. Because I think like Jesus all the time, all time on dots is like maybe top 15 or top 20. Um, On GL points is like uh, past 50, like maybe 60,
0: like that. He'll never do it, despite being despite being right there with one of the greatest one hundred and twenty pluses we've ever seen of all time.
2: I think that the things that hurt, well, what I think hurt Jesus is um, one the comparison to Ray. So he had that incredible eleven ten, but it was less than what Ray's totaled. And it's like um, even the squad is an incredible squad, but it's less than what Ray squats. So that comparison hurts them, even though Ray's not around or or wasn't around for most of this year until he did that local meet. and then the. Um, Second thing I think hurts him is that that meet at Nationals where he went all out and had this huge performance was basically a local meet for him because he lives in Texas. So it was a very quick drive. And then also he had no one close to him in competition so he can go all out. So it's different than when you have to go like Bob Matthews and go to these bigger level meets and compete against an Ashton or whoever else is there on dots or on total or whatever, depending on the meet. So the the travel is different. The competition level is different. Um, and then, like I said, if we don't do the dots, well, Taylor won nationals. Taylor won worlds. Taylor won best lifter at worlds. So how can you put Jesus above that?
1: Because I, mean, I said we're not using points. And then you immediately said that Taylor won best lifter at worlds. Like well, well, I'm know, saying, I'm,
2: that's... I'm saying the tiebreaker because they both won nationals and they both won worlds. Well, then how do you do the tiebreaker of who's the better lifter for the year?
0: For me, um, I mean, and I'm not saying. We, I wouldn't say we don't use the calculator with formulas. I would just say, you have to, we're, we're taking a lot in. For me, the most impactful performance between Taylor and Jesus was Jesus at PA Nats. No I agree question. there
2: as far as impact, yeah.
0: And that's what really left its uh, and, and perhaps me being there live, like 20 <laughs> feet away, could make me biased. And I admit, so sometimes that is. When you're 20 feet away, somebody unracking, like, essentially a thousand pounds. It was eight pounds off of a thousand. It's it leaves an impression. And then when, when he squats, it comes towards the au- the audience. He's like 350 pounds, beating his chest and roaring like a monster of a freaking movie that's about to take over a city. And he's like, oh, it's like, and you see it live. It leaves an impression. So maybe, maybe I am a stitch biased. I don't know. Go ahead, Rory. A monster
1: like um, Gojito, for example.
0: I don't know. You're a nerd. Please don't ever. It's <laughs> a fucking Instagram
1: <laughs> handle, man. Dog, wedgie you dog.
0: Don't do it. Don't do it. That was
1: that was a very basic pop culture reference that went.
3: Uh,
0: Okay, all right, stop, stop. But um, (laughs) you know, I like that we all had different opinions on this because we all argued for it. And I'll tell you what, amongst the people we all said, um, you could be okay with all of them. Let's be honest. I legit my first pick was Bob, and then I was like, "Frick," you know, because Keenan. Dude, what Keenan did with just a couple kilo more, I'm like fuck, I was, but I couldn't give it to Keenan. But I'm like, damn, nobody's close to Jesus. Jesus is, you know, I, I it's tough. It's, a, but I could still be art talked into it. And
2: I don't have the, the reach that you, you do, but I did do an Instagram poll last week of like who were your top performers just to get see what people's ideas were. And yeah, I mean, Jesus was on there. Taylor was on there. Bob was on there. Russ was on there for having the number one total in two weight classes. Keenan was on there for, you know, exploding like 100 kilo total PR and, and totally more than Bob. Um, John Hack obviously on the untested side. Uh, I think those are the big names. So yeah, it's good that we're, we're all coming up with different picks here.
0: I also want to say um, Russ was somebody I couldn't put ahead against, uh, like put ahead of Bob um, or put ahead of Jesus. But Russ finishing near strong, he's the number one eighty two point five dominantly, and that's a very stacked class. It's not a class that doesn't have a lot of competition. He's the number one eighty two point five in a number one like eighty three. They're so close It's half a kilo, we could lump everyone in together. He's the number one guy in a very stacked division worldwide then moved up to 90 and I got you. 90 isn't, isn't um, really a globally accepted, but his 90 kilo total was higher than the 93. I know it's local meat and people are going to, you know, it's not like, like IPF judging, which is freaking super duper tough, obviously. However, to go up there, take the 90 kilo total as well, like random petries a 90, and there's, there's a lot of good nineties and 93s as well um and i got it it's still local meat level but nonetheless the best 82.583 and then to take to bump into the lead at 90 kilo it deserves honorable mention 100% had he done the 90 kilo thing at a major national international meet with like strict judging and, and competition there that might have been the kicker because bob has close cluster of competition floating around him um and then Jesus, you know, didn't do it at Worlds. That might have actually done it for me. So Russell's closer than I think some people are giving him credit for. So I'm, I'm glad that um, I threw Russ in those polls as well. And, uh, you know, he wasn't going to beat those fellas, but it is what it is. You guys ready to move on to the women's?
2: Let's do the women's side.
0: Let's do the women's side. So on the women's untested first, one sec here. So Christy Hawkins had the biggest dots and this is dots is what they're using and untested for for most of these competitions. all the competitions really that i'd seen the big ones um she has the biggest dots both in wraps and outer wraps everyone knows in the untested you know the it's wraps and uh and also sleeve division well she's got both of those locked up and she's number one sometimes it gets tough where somebody's got you know, you're number one in sleeves. Someone else is number one in wraps. Certainly when the kern was huge and it was all wraps, it could be difficult. Well, he won the kern, but then he won the, at least Christie's made it easy for us. And she's doing this as a master lifter. She's 41, 42. She turned 42 in this year. So she's a master and still number one, 75 kilo, number one, but also number one in terms of uh, both in and out of wraps on dots. And that is the way the powerlifting community voted. Um, A close person in there was uh, Tamara Walcott who had the biggest raw total. So she's got the biggest raw total as well as the biggest deadlift. Everybody's seen a 290 kilos, 639 pound. If I'm not mistaken, let me refer to my notes here. Um, Let's take a look here. If you don't mind. There it is. Yeah. 290 kilo pull. And she's just like all over on TV shows sponsored by the rocks, um, you know, equipment line. And like, she's, she's, I think she's in commercials with the Rocks. She's done. She's doing a lot, man. She's on another TV show. I just seen. Um, So she's, she's doing a lot in terms of pushing the sport forward, which I also like, but when you have the biggest total period, as well as the biggest single lift and single feet of strength period, that year you gotta be in there so hats off to her for talking overall strength if some people like to lean on overall strength and get away from formulas tamara's probably your girl um what are you guys thinking is it, is it pretty much uh agrees there
2: as far as untested yeah i mean people were uh, telling me in my poll christy hawkins too when i looked it up on open powerlifting that's kind of what i agree with as well
0: when i have people in the untested on and i ask them um uh, they're like it's it's still her." She's still the one. She's still the one to beat. And um, nobody's done it right now. So that's her year. Let's move along then to the tested women's. And I wonder, I wonder if we're going to get into debate here.
1: <laughs> because no, this, this one isn't going to be real easy. We're all just going to agree first time and go, yeah, move on.
0: Uh, yeah. See, I... Okay. All right. Rory, who you got?
1: I Agatha go There's no other answer that makes sense. <laughs> wow, look on
0: your okay. face. Go. This is interesting. Oh, yeah. This is interesting. Because I know why. I know what you did, but let's do it. Go in there. Okay. Uh,
1: so Agatha has competed I I want to say eight times this year, five times raw, three times equipped. And that time she's competed at two world championships. Uh broke the bench world record multiple times. Uh total world record at 76, even though she ended up coming second in that competition uh she won the world games in the heavy division um highest good lift points equipped as a woman actually sorry highest good lift points equipped between men and women just like ever um and i i have to give extra extra weight on the fact that like she's a really good sport about everything else that goes on right so she she came second at the open world championships um she forced jessica to pull the biggest deadlift ever to beat her and while that was happening she's sitting in the audience cheering for jessica and that was quite like quite a cool moment in terms of uh like sportsmanship and 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 the sport and so i i have to give her like extra extra points for that when she competed at junior Worlds, she did so uh after straight after coming out of hospital like she had stitches all up her arm she was like bandaged to the nines um and still just like Put On, like, a <laughs> um, and just still put on a, a really good performance. Um, so, like, number of competitions, the size of the competitions, number of world records, um, like, winning the world games is a pretty big deal. All of this, and she's only 20 years old.
0: What I was gonna do is split up equipped and classic. I, I, um. and and everybody fucking knows my equipped isn't i'm not the most knowledgeable of the equipped um that's why i threw it out there to the community and they were throwing names out there and and giving me you know ideas and i did a little research in it so i was going to put a pin in that and do the equipped afterwards but um do you have a straight up just classic pick if i told you just based off of classic credentials from 2022
1: I've st- I still have to go uh, I still have to go with Agatha, I think. Um I, I, I still think she had it she had an incredible yeah.
0: Okay, fair enough. Um Arian, what are you thinking?
2: Um, yeah, I agree with Rory. As far as if you combine the classic and equipped, it has to be Agata because world games, you know, comes once every four years and she won the world games, not only her, her weight class, which is actually two weight classes put together, but also the overall, she had the biggest uh, points for the entire world games championship. Then obviously, you know, winning the junior worlds and getting second place at classic worlds and everything like that. So if you're combining them, she's definitely number one. But then I was looking at, okay, if you only look at the classic side, who would you take? Um, at first, I think you can make a case for Leah for having, you know, the world record squat deadlift, in total in the 63s and having the all-time best dots, but it really hurts her that she wasn't able to compete at the world championship and win a world title. She got her national title, she didn't get the world title, so I ended up having to go with Jessica Bittner because she is the one who won the national title, she is the one who won the world title, she is the one who went uh, head-to-head against Agata, who is the best equipped lifter and a really good classic lifter as well, and having to do that biggest deadlift um, of all time, even currently now with the records her deadlift world record is higher than the 84s and higher than the 84 plus so she has the highest deadlift across all these weight classes um we'll see if anyone ends up beating that or how long that lasts so based on the world records the world title the national title that head to head battle jessica bittner
0: biggest of strength um well actually no there's a squat that was bigger but um tori how are you feeling
3: yeah <laughs> Huh. Rory, yeah, it is. was it very tough. Um, great points. Rory. I know. <laughs> do oh, that. You did so good. <laughs> Tory's like, fuck uh, me. Okay, i to mix i, I to mix make... up. <laughs> I love a good comeback story, so I'm gonna have to go with Leah because yeah the missing weight thing at worlds when we were all expecting an amazing performance from her and then she comes back and she makes weight easy and then breaks all the world records and becomes the number one drug tested female of all time with like ended off the year with a bang (laughs) so i'm going with leah and i think she's only gonna push that higher like she's the one to continue like pushing up those the point, like, there's a lot more there for her to do at Sheffield, like, and all of next year as well. So, especially if she ends up going up a weight class, um, yeah, I think she's gonna make a push for Sheffield.
0: I think there's something to be said for, um, you know, being in 2022 with an element of being that far ahead from your your contemporaries, right? There's something to be said for that for sure. Um, it's,
2: it's also interesting, like like a performance of the year versus like lifter of the year. Like for some people had incredible performances, but they didn't do that many wow. meets. So it's like hard to make them lifter year. But like Leah had like, you know, that best performance. Cause I was looking even untested and tested combined for women. She had the fourth highest dots for the year. So it's three untested women over 600 and then Leah. So she, she's right there with them as far as being over 600. But yeah, as far as like lifter in a year, I was trying to think, well, you know, you have to go off of multiple meets and different aspects as well.
0: The thing is, uh, Yeah. Uh, unless it's like look at when taylor i did 838.5 i don't give a fuck it was the only thing you did that year you know what i mean like sometimes <laughs> it's like it doesn't matter that was it if that's <laughs> all you did something's like that's all you did though bro it's like well <laughs> just one day <laughs> convers- i think the conversation was over after that though huh um all right so here's here's what the community said they said relatively overwhelmingly Leah Bavois, and they're going classic um, I did split it, equipped and classic, just for everyone who's listening. And so, equipped was different. And um, I'll take a look at the equipped. We'll, we'll put a pause in that. Let's let's visit the equipped at the end of this. But I'm going to agree with the Leah Bavois pick because for me, 556.5 kilos being lifted as a total in a 63 kilo class is fucking insane for me to wrap my head around. It, it like that is. I, honestly, it's that is a Taylor Atwood situation. Leah Bavois is capable. Her total is so far ahead of every other 63, but also ahead of all the other 69s. And she did it. I got it. There was nobody there at the Arnold. Well, actually, there was Corolla Gara. So, and Corolla Gara is, is as good as they come in terms of opposition. Corolla Gara is in and out of equipment. You know, we're talking world championship. Like she is, she's a phenom herself. If Leah Babwa didn't exist, this would be Corolla Gara's world. And she did it against Gara with IPF international judging. So we're not talking local meat judging. It's the toughest of tough judging. IPF international Corolla Gara was there, which it, she's a multi, she's a world champion, world record breaker in and out of equipment, It's Corolla Gara, for God's sake. And she's so far ahead of the pack. Two different weight classes. The type of dominance. She's number one on good lift points as well as on dots. So whether you like totals, whether you like showdowns against other world championship quality opposition, whether you like top-level judging, international refs, or if you like formulas, she's got it all. Except... (laughs) Rory.
3: <laughs>
0: gotcha <laughs> she fumbled the ball missed weight at worlds and that's where you know i i, I get it that's where the debate is. she left the door open for debate and i respect if someone else says um you know what someone like jess for instance does not have uh the good lift points doesn't have the formula but she had a sensational battle against the reigning world champion and pulled off the biggest deadlift we've ever seen um, at the world championships, no less. And she's, you know, so I gotcha. I gotcha. It's debatable. This is all debatable. I gotcha. But uh, for me, I'm still going to lean, lean towards Leah. And um, she gave the feeling of that Michael Jordan S special talent, where like it literally feels like she's above and beyond and like oh my god who's who could beat this woman like she could out total people look at 556.5 just a couple of years like in 2021 would have won the 76 kilo class let alone she did it as a 63 it's crazy it's crazy and that's 2021 you know what i mean it's it, it leah is a special talent all these women are it's very very difficult but that's that's why i'm gonna go with uh leah babble um, you guys, uh, another person that has to have mentioned. So Jess is on my, was one of the people that's kicking around and will be in my honorable mentions. Also, of course, Turbo Tiff, um, also had a battle, also had a showdown heavily hyped. So she felt the pressure also IPF international judging retained her title against Heather Connor, arguably the 47 kilo goat. Um, also best lifter at the IPF world championships. Kind of hard to do. That's a pretty tough competition to win. Best lifter at the IPF World Championships. So Turbo Tiff needs to be an honorable, honorable mention in there as well. Um, just somewhat short for me, only because Bava's dominance of two different divisions, whereas Turbo Tiff um, couldn't take the 52s just yet. If she was out towing the 52s as well, then that'd probably kick it for me. You guys ready to move on or what do you think? All right, let's move it on. <laughs> So we did male and female tested, untested. How would you guys like to do the most improved lifter of the year? You guys got that one? Mm -hmm. Okay, Rory, what do you got there?
1: I've got Tori uh, because she actually fucking made weight this year.
0: Oh, wow. It's a fucking (laughs) backhanded compliment. Oh, wow. He's coming in hot. He's coming in hot. Wow. Rory's like, thank you. Oh, okay Oh, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's like,
3: thank you. Oh, Watch me do asshole. it again next year.
1: That's right. Oh, shit you're gonna do it again next year as well.
3: I might adjust <laughs> I
0: might just. She goes, who thank knows? You. Who knows? I might miss. I don't know. <laughs> who you got, Rory? Do you got? Do you actually? Is that real? Was
1: that... Uh, my uh, like slightly more serious pick, I'm gonna go with um, Keenan Lee. I uh, he a uh, blew up his total um like yeah at local meets yeah the judging is honestly pretty suspect um but just like phenomenal improvement on an already strong person so like i i have to recognize that i didn't i didn't call him out as uh like even as an honorable mention and lifter of the year but i did want to call out that he had like an amazing year overall so
0: what do you think anarian
2: um, yeah, for the men's side, I also went with Keaton and Lee just putting some numbers to what Rory was saying is like he competed at 2019 Raw Nationals where he got fifth place with not 857.5 kilos. So from 2019 and the 857.5, he's now gone to 957.5 kilos. And yeah, he's been doing local meets, but he also did go head to head against Ashton at local meet. So he had someone that he was trying to push himself against, and Ashton had to like pull to beat him on body weight and have the same total. And then in another meet, he went head to head as far as the best lifter, not as the weight class, against Russ, and pushed himself to win best lift over Russ. So at least he had like some challenges for himself of top lifters that he wanted to go against when he produced these totals. So that's why I went with him. And for the, um, are we doing the women's side as well? Are we doing one lifter or what?
0: You know what? I you go ahead and throw a women's. I, okay. I for this one I did both, count them both together, okay. but.
2: For the women's side, I went with uh, Carlino, uh, Carlina Tongotea because, again, if you go look at her numbers, if you go look at 2021 when she was in world powerlifting, you know, she was hitting 553 as her last meet and before that 530s, 520s. So she was definitely a top lifter, but she wasn't in that top tier of the 76, classes, 76 kilo class of what it's developing to. So from that 553, she's gone on and switched back to uh, uh, the IPF and did 582. At the uh, Auckland Powerlifting Championships, then did the 590 at the National Championships, and then now just did the 600 at the Commonwealths and being the first person, you know, to in that weight class to hit 600. So that kind of progress of putting almost 50 kilos on your total when you're already an elite lifter, I had to put her in there on the women's side.
0: Corey, how do you feel?
3: Um, so I was just looking at the IPF, um, and the first person that came to my mind was actually Emil Krastev stuff from yeah. the 93 field too. class yep. because in Sweden in 2021, he totaled 837 and a half. And then uh this year at Open Worlds, he was like right in the 93 battle, like could have won that, and he totaled 877 and a half. So, like that's quite a lot on your total in one year. And then he was like looking really strong going into Europeans, but obviously the judging was kind of weird there. So I think he would have put up a really big total as well so for this year i would put him like as my most improved lifter
0: yeah he really rattled some people taking a silver in the battle of 93 which was crazy competitive and yeah i really wish we would have seen what he's gonna do at euros but uh it is what it is no he's a good pick i'm for mine i also had keenan um the 100 kilos is is pretty crazy bob leaving last year with a 9 12.5 And then doing what he did this year, I mean, I, I have him close. Like he's an honorable mention. He's not going to be Keenan because Keenan's here's the thing. Keenan last competed in 2019. So on, in terms of what it looks like on the surface, it's like, oh my God, that's a hundred kilo spread. That's over three years. However, in terms of most improved, he's doing it on the platform he is going head to head with some big competition. Um, and it's, it's gotta be keen in just cause he kind of, it felt like he came out of nowhere. He really did he hadn't competed since 2019 and he wasn't at the top of the radar at that time, but Bob's got to get an honorable mention here, uh, finishing with a nine, 12 and a half in 2021 and would have been behind other lifters, similar body weight. Um, but now he's ahead. Like guys like Anatoly and whatnot have not progressed. I'm looking at, if you kind of look at him as, 105-ish because he's not moved past that in body weight, even though he's a 110. None of those guys, Ashton, Keenan, or Bob, they are all could settle into the 105. so we could compare them to the 105s as well. Whereas guys like Anatoly, uh, and obviously, I mean, Ukraine's in war, and his total has greatly fell backwards, and he was in the 930s. Uh, Bob has moved ahead of so many guys, including, you know, I mean, Ashton's nudged ahead with the total Keenan, but he's right up there with them um chance mitchell also put on i believe around 25 kilos since last year and not just in terms of weight in terms of how many kilos put on but also clinched the title that world title so obviously greatly improved i mean he's defeating guys they'd previously lost to so he's one of the most improved lifter- lifters as well and one of my honorable mentions and carlina in terms of if you want to split it up and not just clump the two so it's a co-ed and it's going to be men's and women's carlina, has moved ahead in a star-studded division with people like Jess and Agatha, and is now in the lead in the first 76. Take 600 kilos. And everybody remembers the first. So she's on the list as well, I agree. But I'm going to go with Keenan. You guys want to do upset win of the year? Let's do it. Okay, so this will be my segue. I had mentioned (laughs) Chance. I'll, I'll kick us off. I had mentioned Chance. Um, I think that's going to be my upset win of the year because he had previously lost to Jonathan, and Jonathan, although always in tight battles, always won. So, even though he wasn't like crushing people like Taylor Atwood style, he was always winning these tight battles. He would always be able to find the gear he needed to win it. Um, no matter how many times it came down to the last poll for him to do it, and he had already beaten chance several times previously. So, you're thinking. If it comes down to the battle we all anticipated, it's going to be Jonathan Kaiko for chance to do what he did and, um, you know, miss lifts but keep going up anyways and everything he did to clinch it. Um, I for me, the upset win was chance, Jonathan was the favorite, and chance took it. What are you thinking, Tori? Um,
3: The first okay, I was thinking the 93 battle, and then. Um, I was going through the score sheet and then I remembered, oh, Eddie Bergland also won the 66 kilo class when everyone was expecting Panda to come and put on like an incredible show. And I think Eddie would have to be my upset win of the year, although it didn't, it's not the upset win that you would hope for where the people are battling and he won, but um he still won. he's still and he's a very consistent lifter so i think it's well deserved so
0: because i know some people were picking eddie but pena beat eddie at worlds pena beat eddie at euros in 2021 pena had defeated eddie head up at international meets big ones obviously worlds and euros so coming in but uh yeah eddie eddie found another gear hit 710 internationally and it is what it is arian what are you thinking
2: I was uh, thinking similar to you initially What Chance Mitchell is like, yeah, cause they had just went at nationals and uh, Kaiko had beat him at nationals. And even that third Delph by chance, you know, the bar went down a little bit. Everyone's saying it shouldn't have been a a good lift, which would have made the total even a bigger gap. So it's like a big gap to cover. Um, But I think plenty of people in our polls and our fantasy league and stuff were picking, some people were picking chance. A lot of people obviously were picking Kaiko, but a lot of people were picking chance. They thought he would make bigger improvements. Kaiko has total a little bit less at Worlds than what he had done at Nationals each time. So some people thought maybe his total will go down. So then I started thinking more on the men's side. I went with what Tori said is uh, Eddie Berglund, because going in, the hype was all along like Panna, the hype was all along uh, Joseph, uh, Joe Jordan. Um, the hype was even, some people were saying, you know, Jonathan Garcia finally going to Worlds. He's got the big subtotal. Um, a lot of people weren't talking about Eddie. And yeah, going back and looking at a little bit more of his history is like in 2019 Worlds in Sweden, he bombs out. Then he comes in 2021 in Sweden and gets third place. And he was pretty far away from first and second. So he wasn't really trying to fight for that first place. He was just trying to hold on to a third. Yeah, like you had said, a Europeans, Pana had beat him as well. So I think a lot of people weren't talking about him coming in. Um, they weren't sure how much the weight cut would affect him. People were all, all on these other lifters. And then he comes in and wins fairly comfortably because Panna, as we know, there had issues um, with COVID and stuff like that. His numbers weren't there. Joe Jordan, it seems like the weight cut hit him too much. And then Kyoto and Jonathan just couldn't keep up with Eddie. And Eddie Cruz, no one even tried to pull for the win at the very end. He had the win already locked up. And so that's my, my, for my men's side. For the women's side, I tried to look. It was a little bit harder, but I went with uh, Gabby Martinez because she came from equipped and recently has switched over to Raw, so there's not as much experience there as far as what she's capable, as far as the Raw side. And then looking at the Raw side, she had um, won the – it looks like – no, she got fourth place in 2021 at Raw Nationals. She got fourth place, didn't even podium, with a 500-kilo total. And then she comes to the Grand Prix at the Arnold and loses to Sam Calhoun – Heads up! She lost on total, and she lost on lost on dots, and then she turns around a couple months later. And at mega nationals, the big meet for you for USAPL is the nationals. And she goes head to head against Sam and she wins first place there. So being able to have a huge improvement from 510 at the Arnold to 527.5 at nationals and take out Sam Calhoun, who's a multi-time national champion, has been to Worlds, got the silver medal there, record, everything like that. I had to put that as a upset because I think a lot of people thought Sam would total much higher and be able to like win best lifter and be up there in the pro series and everything like that
0: rory
1: i think the reason that i wouldn't pick the 93 kilo opens from worlds as being my upset of the year is that like even though i didn't anticipate chance winning i don't think anybody thought he was way out of the running right like there was there was that pack of about five guys at the top and exactly where they fell was a matter of quite a lot of debate and like quite a lot of really interesting debate and, and i really enjoyed that um but nobody was looking at that and going, look, if you think chance is gonna win or if you think Gustav is gonna win or whoever whoever it is, like you're out of your mind right like it's like there is a very clear person who is gonna win. like those five guys were all plus or minus 20 kilos of like the top right um, And so if we were nominating Battle of the year, which I don't think is one of the categories that we have, that is what I would pick as the, as the battle of the year. But I, I wouldn't call it an upset like a uh, mild surprise. But but not an upset. Um, and so for upset, I actually said Eddie Berglund as well. And so I I might refer to this year as Eddie's like coming out as a three lift lifter because in the past he's always totaled really well, but it's because he's had this monstrous bench press and his squat and his deadlift have like never been bad, but like they certainly haven't been on par with his other lifts. But when he came out this year and he totaled that seven ten, like he was a really well-rounded lifter and like he put on a good performance he executed well he did well on all lifts he didn't just have like one monstrous lift and sort of some shabby lifts you know um that was surprising um it was that was actually an upset like if (laughs) in fact i think bill said he thought eddie was gonna win at the beginning of the year and I think I told him that that he was like out of his mind. Um, and I he, laughed
0: he, him right out of the fucking party. Yeah.
1: Right, right. Both, I think both of us did. Right, we we said it on a podcast. He's been like, back since. He's gonna win, and we go, and we were both like, bench presses don't win meets. Um, and I think we're still right. Bench presses don't win meets. But Eddie's not a bench presser anymore. Eddie's a three lift lifter now, and and he fucking showed everybody at Worlds. So that's my that's my upset of the year.
0: Um, I th- we are actually going to do Battle of the Year. So we got your pick. Okay, I already told you what my answer is, <laughs> there it is. But I'll say for battle of the year, I think it's Egato versus Jess. Um, honestly, right down to the very last deadlift two world, two reigning world champions going head to head. You don't often get that. And they pushed and delivered and they don't always deliver either lived up to the height. And for Jess to clinch it with the biggest deadlift we've seen in the women's side. Um, I mean, it's, it's, right to the very last drop and the ultimate climax, like, you know, in a movie is the third act is the climax worth it. Yes, it is. You know? Yes, it is. The reason why nudges over the 93s, because after Keiko missed, it was, it didn't have that. Now chance does not no longer have to hit his third. And there's that part, little piece was missing where they had more characters in that movie. This was just a, a two lady show, but it was right to the very end. And, uh, so that, that kicks it for the battle of the year. Tori, what was your battle of the year, do you think?
3: Uh, for me, it was the 93s. Um, maybe I just expected Jess to win because I think she is a very good competitor when it comes to like having to pull for the win or anything like that. And she's consistent at making weight, all of those things. So I just expected her to do really well. But with the 93s, it was so all over the place. Like any of yeah. these... Like pack of guys could have won so i had no idea what was going to happen there so it was really exciting and like you said being there in person makes it although i was there in person for it was the same championship, world championships they were competing out but yeah it was it was very exciting to watch those guys battle it out
0: it's wild that that was the same session yeah that was the, same, and then you- never, the best session i've ever commentated in my life and i've been doing it a, a, a hot minute in the best session i've probably seen that was one session it was crazy
1: that was yeah that was only about two hours and 15 minutes or something like that and that entire thing was really fast like I, can was... i say
0: something that happened i haven't come down from it yet <laughs> <laughs> I was this. A, a piece of me still there in south africa <laughs> I come down yet. still still coping period what's up man what do you say
2: Same as, as you all, I just split it into uh, men and women. So on the women's side, obviously had the 76s. The 57s was also a great battle with obviously Joy pulling for the win and also um, some other lifters there close behind. But I think what maybe hurts some of the lower weight classes is just the, the absolute weight then. So then the absolute weight kind of takes over of Jess is pulling a bigger weight than Joy and Jess is pulling, you know, like the biggest weight on the women's side versus Joy is never going to have that ability um, to do so. So I put that over that and, and just like how far they were over the uh, world record. And uh, like you said, how it matched up with the 93. So on the men's side, I had the 93s because like Rory had said, like, on that day, anyone could have won. And if anyone had said, oh, I think chance is going to win. I think Keiko's going to win. I would think Emil is going to win. I think I going to win, but okay. You sound right to me. Like you, you're not crazy over here. And so just having that kind of depth, similar to the 66s, but the 66s just didn't, um, perform as well. Like we, I mentioned earlier, pan didn't have the day one. there were some issues there of uh, Joe Jordan, like maybe the weight cut caught him a little bit and Eddie kind of just, pulled away and won versus the 93s there was still that battle going at the deadlifts okay and then chance misses a deadlift and makes it more interesting the only downside to the 93s compared to the 76s as you mentioned is that in our sport it's a little bit of a unusual sport and that you can win off the field so chance wins in the warm-up room and then there's kind of like yeah a little bit of letdown where just won on the platform everyone got to see it so those are my two and yeah i'd put the 76s over to 93s
0: all right um let's move it on to what are we taking a look at here improved upset win ah okay and we did come back we didn't do comeback did we didn't do comeback oh no we did mo- okay let's do comeback of the year who wants sure. to go first on this one
3: i'll go yeah. okay <laughs> <I was> judging <laughs> okay. my Tory
0: smile from here to here, <laughs> she wants um, this one
3: come back of the year rory no, 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 wait. I'm saving Rory for something else. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs>
0: oh,
3: He's okay. done she, many she's, things this year. Her,
0: her shot that He did earlier, she'll be like, and I just want to throw out asshole of the end <laughs> no, 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 say... no,
3: no, no. <laughs> But yeah, Meg Scanlon, because she had some kids and she came back and then she won worlds, and then she just put up an insane total um in the 63 kilo class. I think it was like 537 or something. Like absolutely nuts. So, I mean, I hope after I have kids that I can do something like that, but comeback of the year.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and I was tinkering with the idea of her for upset of the year because going into worlds, obviously no one would have said Meg because I was Leah Bavla territory, but it's a stitch different because Leah didn't compete. Even if Leah had bombed out while lifting, it would have been a little different. I think I would have went Meg all day Uh, because Leah didn't technically compete then I I shied away from it. But for sure, in terms of like comeback, in terms of like taking a world title and then finishing the year with the total she just put up, really emphasizes, look, at I got you. If you're a Leah Bavois fan and what Leah does is sixty three, okay. But I'm world-class. Uh, she's world-class right up there with Coral Lagara as well. It's, it's So we see if Leah goes into the 69-kilo class or if she returns to 63. If she goes 69-kilo class... Gara and meg that's gonna be a good battle in 2023 um what are you think there rory
2: i've
1: actually got leah for my comeback of the year and the main reason there is that the world's thing was really disappointing like didn't make weight dq'd zero kilograms last um and in my opinion worse than that not only did she not make weight she didn't show up to make weight Right, like she didn't weigh in and miss it. She didn't didn't show up and didn't hop on the scales. I thought she did. And Are you sure? No, nah, she was sitting in the car park outside. She never came into the building. Are you sure? I'm not. A, I'm not 100 sure, but I'm but I'm reasonably <laughs>
0: certain. Do you also tell people that she was up for dinner with me the night before? <laughs> Wait a second.
1: No, I think that was Garrett. I think Garrett told people that.
0: <laughs> well, you know, What's, Canadian taking you out. Mr. Throw, uh, <laughs>
1: throw, throw Garrett under the bus, not me. Um, yeah. So in and, and my opinion, that is like that's an that's an appalling showing, right? Like that's really fucking bad. Um so doing that and then coming back what was it four months later, something like that, three months later even, um, hitting weight and hitting the total that she hit, that is a massive turnaround. And so Leah is my comeback of the year for for those
0: reasons. Arian, yeah, what are you saying? I mean, Rory makes
2: a good, a great point as far as like, especially the mental aspect of it, like physically, maybe Leah could have hit that same total that day or whatever her body weight was at Worlds. But the mental aspect of going from like, this is going to be your biggest meet of the year. This is going to set you up for Sheffield. And then you don't make weight. So you don't get to, you know, win the world title, go to Sheffield. People are all making fun of you online, everything like that. And then Yeah, so for, for Leo, it's definitely more of like the mental aspect of it. It's like you missed out on your opportunity to win the world title. You missed out, you think, at that point on your opportunity to go to Sheffield. People are all making fun of you online for not being able to make weight and and not having to be able to perform or anything like that. And then being able to come back and say, no, I'm going to go and compete again. I'm going to find an international meet and I'm going to go put up the best performance possible. And she goes and puts up that all time best performance. But for my personal pick on the women's side, I went with Meg Scanlon, going over like um, multiple years of like her comeback story. So going back to 2019 Worlds is where she was a 57, and she went that battle with Maria T down to that final deloft, and she ends up losing. So like a heartbreaker. Then she turns around in 2019 Raw Nationals, and she gets third place. So now she's not even able to you know win. Uh, she went up to 63s at that point, but she was not able to win the nationals. Then 2021, she goes back down to 57s, and she gets second place at Nationals. So again, just go back down to 57, try there, you can't win Nationals. So then finally, 2022, with the whole split and everything like that, she stuck with the IPF side, came to Powerlifting America, she wins the Nationals there in the 63s, goes to Worlds, and the opportunity shows up for her that, hey, you have a chance to win it's going to be a battle and end up being, you know, battle for the the top three down to the very last deadlift. But she ends up coming back and getting the world title that, you know, she's been wanting for multiple years now. And like Tori said, by the way, she had some kids along the way there as well, which just makes it like that more amazing that while she's struggling, figuring out what weight class she wants to be in and how to get back to worlds and get her chance to world title, she had her kids and then she goes and gets that world title. And then also just to throw in there on the men's side, I also went with uh, Eddie Berglund. Again, just for the story, as I mentioned earlier, You know, bombing out at 2019 Worlds when it was in your home country, coming back in 2021 when it's in your home country and getting third place and not being close to Panna or Gladkick, and then finally be able to come in 2022, become a full rounded lifter, not just a bench presser. And even his second bench press, he had the issue. He was able to come back and get on his third. And then, like I said, he Come deadless, he was just in the, the driver's seat and comfortably won the end where no even challenged him to try and pull for the win. So that's my uh, comeback for men and women.
0: I'm going to say for the women's side, I agree with Leah Bavlock because in terms of lowest of the low, not only did she in at worlds not make weight and like take an L, but the ganging up on her social media wise was pretty bad. Anybody who wanted something to say about her had their opportunity and, um, and they went full on in. And then her future was in doubt. Is she going to go for 63? So for her to say, I'm coming back at Arnold's. And it was a lot of pressure, even from supporters saying, just go 69. Just go 69. And from all rounds, for her to say, "Like I'm coming back, and I'm coming back as a 63. That is big. I'm going to write that wrong. I'm going to prove I can make 63 and then prove I can put up a performance I'm capable of and obviously breaking the world record like she did higher than what the 69 kilo class world record was as a 63. Cause a lot of people, you might make 63, what's your performance going to be like all time. Great. That's a huge statement by her to say, no, I'm going to write this wrong and put that to bed. So people can't bring it up so that for me, that was a massive comeback. Um, just like emotionally, mentally and everything that she probably went through as well as speaking of how about Anatoly? Yeah. He came second in his weight class but he was the european championships best lifter and him coming back he had mentioned in my comments or, or sorry in the dms that he was not a hundred percent i mean his country is literally under siege um not only is it his future in doubt just the future of everybody he knows is in doubt you don't he doesn't know what his next year is going to look like or his kids or his friends family everybody Their whole entire existence is in doubt what it's going to look like five years from now. If you're back behind the curtain or what's going on, that is extremely stressful to be like train, eat, hit all everything, sleep. All of the things that we need to do to perform as athletes was on his mind. And he's like, I just want to hit the platform again. Yeah. He came in second in his weight class, but he was got best lifter at the European championships. It's a hell of a comeback including all the pressure he probably had on him being okay. The King is back. And he knows here. He said ahead of time to me, I'm not, I'm not going to do what I did before, let alone have improved upon. Like most people are improving upon at his age. He's like 26. You know, you would think he'd be improving. Wow. It's tough. So anyways, another comeback. And, uh, you guys want to do. So do you guys want to move to breakthrough star or do you want to do, uh lifters to watch in 2023 or do you want to break down squat of the year bench of the year dead of the year
2: do a breakthrough i guess before we go into next year
0: okay go ahead Here for,
2: we go. for breakthrough i'll just mention a, a couple of names like it depends on what you consider breakthrough we don't have to go through all of them in depth but on the women's side my breakthroughs were Celine crumb and jad jackup So on the USAPL side, Celine was not like a big name. People were talking about going into this year. She didn't even have her pro card, but she ended up going to the Arnold, winning her pro card, getting into the pro series. And then from there, being able to win nationals and um, place third in the pro series. And for this year's money, um, from what I calculated, she's tied with, like I said, with Bob, as far as winning the most money in the pro series. So I definitely have her up there. For Jad Jacob, she... was a name people knew as far as like juniors like she had won junior worlds and you know maybe some people from europe know her but she wasn't a star but now the fact that she pushed joy to the brink she did have the the off meet at junior world where she got injured but then coming back at europeans and putting up that world record total now she's a name that we're we're constantly talking about every single month we're bringing up her name in one podcast or another and then on the men's side, Keenan Lee, which we've obviously discussed, you know, Keenan Lee is probably the name that's never been discussed on this podcast before this year, was never reposted on Keenan List before this year. And now he's this huge name that everyone knows. And then also a name that's been mentioned other categories, Emil Krastev, just because, again, he was the guy who's gotten like third place at Worlds. People weren't really talking about him. People maybe didn't even know who he was because he's not made from North America or Western Europe. And then he comes in and has this... uh Huge meet where a lot of people didn't pick him to be up there. People were thinking Gustav, Kaiko, Chance. And uh depending on how things would have played at the end, he could have possibly even even won the world title by ended up getting second place. And he has obviously a lot of potential going forward.
0: What do you think, Tori?
3: Um, I'm gonna say uh Jad for my breakthrough, star of the year as well, because she put a lot on her total and she came up as like a, a name that is recognized that can push like all of the open lifters and her points are also high enough that she can become like best lifter next year as I think she's like 21. So I think she really made herself known this year. And then I'd say breakthrough for this year as well, for the men's side would be chance because of his um, win on the 93 side. And it has taken him a long time to get to this point. And I think we're just starting to see what he can do. So it's a long time coming for him.
0: What about you, Rory?
1: Uh, I have to say Carlina Dungatea. Um, So, like, this time last year, I don't think anybody was talking about her, right? Um, she was competing in world powerlifting. Like, she was registered in world powerlifting up until the end of last year and only switched back to the IPF sort of beginning of this year. Um, and, like, obviously, she was, str- like... By any objective classification, she would have been an elite lifter, right? She was totaling 530, 550, And the um I've they've got different weight classes, but but you know, in, in around the same weight class. And like, but but let's be honest, nobody we don't pay attention to what is happening in world powerlifting. There isn't a lot of big meets, there isn't a lot of big names. We just don't spend a lot of time talking about it, thinking about it, or watching it, right? Um and so Carlina goes from from that switches back into the ipf does a really good performance at i want to say it was auckland champs and a few people started like noticing uh totaled above the world record at new zealand nationals and suddenly a lot of people are watching and a lot of people are paying attention but of course there is then the um oh it's a national championship right it wasn't in front of international referees it was on home ground like all of all of those kinds of conversations um and then comes out again commonwealth championships 15 kilograms over the world record, um, incredible showing. Again, still on home ground, uh, still not head-to-head and so of of like a bit of an exhibition, but 15 kilograms over the world record in front of international referees, I would have considered the refereeing to be incredibly fair. Like it was was a very good performance. And so over 12 months, we've gone from nobody even knows her name to literally everybody is talking about her. And it's quite hard to beat that as far as breakout goes, in my opinion.
0: No, yeah, well said. So I'm going to agree with everybody you guys have. Um, obviously, yeah, like yeah, Jack up gets brought up all the time. Same with Carlina gets brought up all the time. Celine Crumb at the USAPL side um, definitely is emerging as well. But I want to throw out there, I would say Agatha, whom for sure in the equip side in 2021, gotcha. She had she had won some titles, but now she is. She was in the biggest battle against one of the biggest stars in in it. It showed up. And and everybody walked away. Can't wait to see possibly an encore at Sheffield and again at World. So I'm going to throw Agatha in that mix. And I think Bob Matthews, although there's a lot of hype on him in 2021, is really finished 2022 in the driver's seat. And he's in, as previously mentioned, a hot division where he's got guys like Keenan and Ashton all within a couple kilos of body weight. So it's all fair game. And um, I kind of like that, even though they're all just a couple kilos off the 100 kilo mark. So all of them could probably make 100 kilos. So they're all kind of looked at each other and be like, let's just agree we're going to go all 110, even though we're way small for 110. And let's just not cut weight. till that variable's gone. So nobody could possibly have a shitty day and be like, well, it wasn't the day I wanted. We're not going to see that in captions. We're not going to have those intangibles. We're just going to have full send by all these guys. So Anyways, Bob Matthews for me, huge breakout star as well, and everybody's talking about Bob Matthews. Twenty twenty one, he was big. I think twenty twenty two, he got even bigger. In twenty twenty three, I want to see him go head to head with Ashton and Keenan, all in the same platform. And if he wins that, I mean that's that's huge. And we'll see what happens because any one of those guys. Well, I already said obviously Keenan, he's got a monster total. Ashton's capable. He seems reinvigorated. Um, He just made recently a post in his stories, and he's like, 2022, I I slept. You know, that wasn't me. That's not my best. I'm better than that. So he's riled up. Let's see what happens. But anyways, I'll I'll echo the sentiments with Jad and and throw in Agatha, and I'll throw in Bob Matthews and Carlina as well. Yes. Okay. You guys want to do coach of the year?
1: So I found coach of the year probably the hardest category because for lifters and for individual lifts and and meet results and stuff, we can go into open IPF and open powerlifting and we can filter by best squat, best squat in a category, best squat in a category in a year and so on and so forth. right? And nothing like that exists for coaches. And if you know who somebody's coach is, which can actually be very difficult to figure out at times, um, you can look at the performance of their individual lifters, but even then the performance of a particular athlete is quite hard to untangle the factors that go into that. And one of those factors is the person who has been coaching them leading into the meet or, or, you know, the training that they've done leading into the meet. Uh, But it's also influenced by the person who has coached them previously. And it's possible that they had gains that were potentiated, but not realized yet, or it's possible that they have sort of innate factors that make their performance a particular way. Um, like you I'm sure you can think of particular elite athletes where it probably wouldn't matter who was coaching them. They would still do really, really well. And, and so for that reason, it's very hard for us to go, Hey, I think, I think Ariane is the coach of the year because, because why? I don't know all of his athletes. I certainly haven't gone through every athlete of every coach and looked at their performance improvements over the last 12 months, over the last 18 months, over like, which athletes has he handled on meat day, which athletes have been, uh, handled by somebody else on meat day, but he did the coaching of like, which athletes also worked with a nutritionist or, or, you know, whatever else. So this is a really hard category. Um, and I, I think I've ended up narrowing it down to two people, but I had to go with the things that I can directly observe. And so it's, possible or even likely that I've ended up missing a whole bunch of like important things that I just can't see from from where I'm sitting. Um so I guess my honorable mention would be Garrett Bentley. Um and I'm going to say Garrett Bentley for his particularly for his meet day coaching because he has done basically a shitload of meet day coaching handled a lot of Team Canada at many international meets over the last 12 months and Meat day coaching is not what we typically think of when we think of coaching, right? Look, Normally, we think about training and potentially nutrition and like weekly check-ins and all of all of those kinds of things as being like the coach's job. But meetday day coaching is also an important part of coaching. And I think that from an experience point of view and from a, you know, almost like a repetitions point of view, Garrett has to be really up there. Um, the other coach that I'm going to put up there is Jason Trombley. Um, and I'm going to put him up there because... Uh, coaches Taylor Atwood, coaches Leo Bovala, both like really great, great performers over the last, I mean, the last few years, but like the last 12 months in particular. But in addition to that, I think the strength guys as a group do really well. And so part of his job is not just coaching individual athletes, right? Part of his job is also building that brand and the other coaches within that brand and not just the coaches, but they also have nutritionists and rehab specialists and all of those other things that sort of are important for an athlete, but a coach might not have the specific expertise to be able to do those and has to be able to refer out to somebody sort of more specialized. Um, and so I think it's very hard to look past Jason in that respect.
0: Yeah. And he's what he's done with like Sleen uh, Crumb and um, as well as uh, Freak like the 47, that's just entered the field jessica. there jessica, jessica. And like, yeah she's like he's got he's got shooters man sling crumbs a shooter jessica's a shooter like these are they they got all the the strength guys have really grown in the last in the last year as well arian who what are you thinking sir beside yourself who's honorable uh, mention
2: I'm definitely not coach of the year. I was thinking of a lot of things Roy was saying too with this, that this was the hardest category. And one of the main thing is we don't have all the information. So like we don't know all the people Garrett coaches. We don't know all the people Jason coaches. Um, people don't know all the people I coach. They might see some on Instagram, but you know, all my athletes aren't even on Instagram posting stuff. So we don't have all the information. So like I think you can make a case for like Marcellus Williams because he coaches Ashton, he coaches Bob, and he coaches uh, Brandon Petrie. And I believe he won like the best men's team at USAPL's mega nationals. But like outside of that, I don't know who else he coaches. I think he does like nutrition. What's that?
0: Jamar as well, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. and I think he does
2: the nutrition for like Jasmine Penn, but I think Mike, uh, her boyfriend does the programming. So like you can make a case for that. Um, I think like uh, Joey got like second best men's team, but then also the other factors. Now we have USAPL and IPF split. So you can make a case for like Joey because of Jesus one worlds, Delaney one worlds, Amanda one worlds. Um, some of those other lifters didn't win, but you know, Kaiko still got second. Mikey got second, uh, Lugo got second. So you can make that case too. Um, personally, I would just... Going with the person I know the most and just making a case for the dynamic duo, Rory kind of hinted at it as well as Jason Tremblay and Ben Esgro. So, you know, he already mentioned Taylor Atwood, you know, national title, world title, best lift girl worlds, uh, Leah, you know, getting that best performance ever on the women's side, first to 600 dots, all that kind of stuff like that. Um, you guys mentioned Celine Crum winning her pro card, winning the most money tie with Bob uh, this year for pro series prize money um, being, I believe, um, tied for second in the pro series as well, um, winning her national title, everything like that. Jessica Espinal, you all mentioned, who um, won nationals for USAPL is now switching over. She has the highest total for a US lifter in the 47s as well. So now she already has that. And then we'll see what happens as far as Worlds, if she gets there next year or any international competition. Also he had uh, Joshua Wright in the 74s at Worlds who got third place. A lot of people were talking about um, Dylan Nelson or talking about Clinton Lee or talking about Leonardo um, or Alexander Erickson, whatever. And Joshua Wright came in and stole that bronze medal from them. He also had um, Catherine Waday who won the University Worlds and helped Ohio State University win the team there at University world. So, across all these different divisions and everything like that, um, Luis Hernandez from Dominican Republic won an NAPF in his weight class. Uh, Richmond Biden won bronze medal at Junior Worlds. Um, and then, including Lane in there, I'm sorry, including Ben Esgro in there, Ben helped out with Taylor. Ben helped out with Leah. Tori actually co coaches uh, Celine with Jason. Um, I wanted to mention that, but Ben also helped out with handling Lane Noren at Masters World. So, even though uh, Data Driven Strength does the programming, Ben did the meet day handling, teamed up again, and put him in a position to uh, win on that second deadlift, and then he just pulled whatever he needed on the third. Outside of powerlifting as well, just making case here again for Jason, he coaches Travis Cooper in weightlifting. So Travis Cooper just did um, worlds in weightlifting and got fifth place, it looks like. I'm trying to pull up again Uh, in um, in the 81 kilo class, I believe it is. So he has a weightlifter where he does the main strength training for them. He also has a bodybuilder, Gary Amlinger, who got second place at their WNBF Bodybuilding World Championships. He got the heavyweight silver medalist there. So then he has these other sports as well. And then just to kind of round it off as well as we do a uh, the Strength Guys Mentorship Program. So we're helping train other uh, coaches and building them up. So like Tori was one of the people on our mentorship. Now she's a coach. She's helping out with coaching Celine. Um, Nico, uh, Nicholas Payrod. Nico was on that internship as well. Now he's coaching his first world champion and his sister Clara Pey- Um Charlotte Vidal was also in that mentorship. Now she's coaching Nicholas Payrod, who's also winning world titles. So, just trying to take everything to aspect. It's not just one thing. It's like okay, programming. It's meet day handling. It's mentorship. It's co-coaching with Ben. Co-coaching with Tori. It's powerlifting. It's weightlifting. It's bodybuilding. I just put him out there. That's my case. Is prepared. this
1: sponsored by the strength guys? Like what is what is going on here?
2: But again, the only reason I know all this information is because I work for the strength guys. So I know what Jason and Ben are doing. I don't know all the things Garrett's no. doing or Marcellus is doing or Joey's doing or some other coach out there. Maybe like a high school coach or a collegiate coach that we don't even know about.
0: No, it's fair. I, this I is very say, difficult. Go
1: ahead. I, I have to say that. If I was, if I had all of the information, one of the things that I would be looking for that we would never see at, at at the levels that we're generally looking, is I would be looking for someone who was doing a really good job of getting young people into the sport, and keeping them uninjured and making consistent progress for a long time. Like if there was, if there was a coach out there who was taking people who were sixteen to twenty two years old and keeping them in the sport for four years or more and just making consistent progress, maybe qualifying for nationals or whatever, and they did that with a lot of athletes, that would be incredible, right? Like that person would be a great coach and they would be really good for the sport, but we would never be able to see that with the information that we have
0: available, right? That's fair. Tori, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I was gonna, just with what Rory said, like they would be good for the sport, but I guess like what makes like powerlifting known is like, the insane lifters like Bob and Ashton, Taylor and Leah. And it's likely yeah, I would that, argue
1: that those people you know... have something inherent about them that would make them incredible lifters regardless of who coaches them. Like it's yeah. not to say that the coach doesn't matter, but like if you if Leah was coached by somebody else, she would still be a rock star.
3: Yes. Yeah. Um I guess with Arian's argument as well, like Jason would be my coach of the year. But Great minds must think alike, Rory. Because the second person that came to my mind was Garrett, but that's also because I'm like I've been handled by him and like I'm close with everyone on Team Canada and I know how he like treats his athletes and how involved he is with everything when it comes to powerlifting and he has been very involved for a long time and he's helped grow the sport so much, especially on the Canadian side. Um, and he is now like the president of the ontario powerlifting Associ- association as well and he's running amazing meets over there and yeah just the way he treats his athletes i remembered like he'll uh,
2: oh he lost are going. we still
3: recording okay yeah. good <laughs> um he like would compete and handle and then he'll, he'll like go back to his hotel room and he'll do programming for like hours until he handles the next day like everyone like has a program on time like he also does a really good job with nutrition so he's doing all of the like, he's doing all of the things um that we've talked about like the handling and like coaching side so yeah garrett um... stop
1: copying miktori pardon stop copying me, Tori.
3: <laughs> well hmm, who thought it first <laughs> oh
2: <laughs> Ryan's back just in time for okay, him to Ryan, give us our coach of the year pick
3: let's hear your coach of the year
0: Here is mine and let me just say everything that you guys are saying when I was around wasn't here is probably wrong okay so here's, <laughs> <Yeah>. here's...
3: <laughs> oh you don't want to say that <laughs> He's, well, really okay You
0: will have somebody coming after you. Well, that's true, too. Here was my... I'm going to say Joey Flex. Uh, In terms of the titles, both IPF, USAPL from Russ, who was in contention for Athlete of the Year, to Jesus Olivares, obviously...
2: We may have lost him again. But I'm sure he was talking about Russ and Jesus and Delaney and Amanda.
3: <laughs> Who else?
2: Well, as far as the next category, you all want to go to go squat, bench, deadlift for the year, or you want to go dark horse first?
3: Oh, let's I didn't go, think of um, dark horse.
1: Yeah, let's go squat, bench, deadlift, and then we can we can start looking forward to um like things that are haven't happened yet. Yeah.
2: Okay, well, we'll see how long Ryan's gone for and he can always jump back and where we're at. Uh, Rory, do you want to start then with the squatter of the year?
1: Okay, so I really struggled with this one. Um, but what I ended up settling on was actually not a single squatter, but a squat session of the year. Um, and so the squat session of the year that I ended up settling on was the uh, 52 kilo open woman from worlds where Steph Keane Plundekas and Naomi Alabert traded the 52 kilo open squat record back and forth. I want to say it was four or five times over the course of the second and third attempts of, of the squads. And so I think it ended up settling at 168 was the, was the record at the end of the day, I think. Um, but like there was... So there are three people going over 160. Another two people squatted 160. Like the overall bar for that particular session was incredibly high. And so although I haven't picked a single squatter of the year, that entire session was really exciting. The standard was high. The the energy was high. Trading the world record back and forth like that, really exciting. So um little off the cuff, a uh, little bit cheaty because I didn't actually pick a, a single person, Yeah, but um, that session was, was amazing. And so that's my, that's my squat session of the year.
2: What about you, Tori? Did you actually pick someone?
3: Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to have to go with Jesus because I mean, he didn't do this in competition yet, but he hit a thousand pounds in the gym and I think he's going to, he's going to take Ray's squat record uh, either next year or the year after. And if we're just looking at like overall load and something that's like so impressive, it's like got to be that squat. Like that's what makes powerlifting known, I guess, when outside people see these kind of feats of strength, like squatting a thousand pounds is incredible. So Squatter of the year would be Jesus for me.
2: All right. I'll go next Ryan. And then if you want to give your squad of the year and coach of the mm-hmm. year, you can do them back to back. So for my squad year, again, I broke this up into men and women. So on the women's side, I went with Leah because of her world record squat that she hit of 213 kilos. So coming into this year, she had the world record at 205 and she bumped it up now eight kilos to 213. And that 213 is higher than her 69 kilo world record. So no one in the 69s can squat as much as she can squat in the 63s. And then the next weight class, Carlina has it at 223. So she's only 10 kilos away from Carlina, two weight classes down. So that's why I had to put Leah in there for the women's side. And then for the men's side, maybe a little bit of bias pick, but I went with Jonathan Garcia because on the men's side for classic men, we're talking about IPF, he's the only one who broke a squat squat world record on the men's side this year. So all the other ones are from last year or 2019 or some other year, um, like 59s is from 2017, Ray Williams is from 2017. He's the only one who went to an international competition in the men's classic open and broke a world record squat. So he did 271, which is not take close to Taylor's best, but Taylor's world record right now is 283. So he's kind of close to that. And, um, before that Charles had it at 263. So we bumped up from 263 to 271 and he's getting close. Maybe it'll happen next year to be the first 66 to squat 600 pounds, like 272 kilos or 272.5 kilos. So that's what I had Leah and Jonathan.
0: So what I was saying, I was going to give it to Joey Flex, coach of the year, but I do want to say Marcellus with what he's done. um, I mean, he's with Bob, with like, you know, Jamar, obviously putting up that 832.5, I believe is an 82.5. I mean, closing in on Russ, um, all of his athletes, man. He's got so many shooters. Marcellus is really breaking through with the pack. Obviously Ashton didn't have the year he wanted. He said, but he had a fantastic year nonetheless. I see them uh, he's up there, but Joey in terms of diversity just has a a deeper roster that hit taking, you know, national titles and world titles. So for me, Joey flex is the uh, coach of the year, but in terms of squad of the year, I'm going to go with Jesus Oliver 250 kilos, 991 or 92 pounds. I mean, what can you say, man? I was there live and it was absolutely like, whenever you get squats that big, it's difficult to beat Russell or he's 340. Um, biggest squat in the 90 kilo class even beat jamar's 90 kilo squat and jamar is an absolute phenomenal squatter so i'm gonna throw mention in there to russell Orhi on the CPL side on the untested side mighty joe sullivan after coming close to tom platz's amrap record hitting a 385 kilo 847 pound squat joe sullivan is a phenomenal squatter. He's a squat monster on the untested side. He is literally built to squat. Um, and he was on the podcast saying I think his deadlift's coming back. So be out for that. For the untested women's, um, I'm gonna say Christy Hawkins 290 kilo wrapped squat. That's a 639-pound squat, is freaking phenomenal for, for a woman in 75 kilo class to be squatting that much. Christy Hawkins is a freak. I mean, she's in her 40s master lifter, no less. So I'm gonna say Christy Hawkins deserves mention as well. Um, and that's the untested women for the tested women. I'm gonna go like Arian with Leah Bavo's 213 for everything he already said. The 213 at which is 470 pounds for a hundred and thirty-eight-pound woman is fucking mind-boggling. It's bigger than a weight class up, and it's within 10 kilo of a weight class up, even from there. I mean, Leah Bavois is a superstar and she's a, she's a special talent. I do want to give uh some props as well to Bonica, who did a 273.5, 603-pound squat in the tested division. Bonica needs a tip of that to her. Amena Lawrence 242.5 is a nice squat. I think she's done bigger previously. So um, but it's still a phenomenal squat. Nonetheless, in the 52s, Plune Deckers with a 171 kilo squat, breaking the world record. Uh, she's the squat queen in the 52s, as well as Bobby Butters in the 57s. 185.5 kilos. She's 125 pounds squatting routinely over 400 pounds at the IPF world level, where squat depth is crazy efficient. Everyone I said... When I'm saying they're breaking world records and you know, it's IPF, you know, the quality of squat need. No, I don't got to say anymore. So hats off to all of those ladies and gentlemen. Oh, uh,
2: we all did all our squats. Do you want to go right uh, into I, giving us I, your bencher of the year?
0: Yeah. I mean, you could take it and host it. Cause I don't know how my Wi-Fi is going to go. So I'll let you take it. My <laughs>
2: <man>. <laughs> yeah. But I'm saying why, you, why your wi is working, give us your benchers okay. of the year as well.
0: Okay. Play boy. Um, <laughs> So I'm gonna say uh, it's first off, Jen Thompson at 49 years old in 67.5 kilo class. The bench press, 148.5, 327 pounds. She's almost 50 years old. Been walking this worth walking this earth for half a century. It's insane that she's benching just a few pounds shy of 330. That's incredible. Like she is. It's incredible what she's been through, the injuries she's gone through. She's been doing this since the 90s, competing at an elite level. Um, so I mean, I'm a huge Jen Thompson fan. It's inspiring for all of us to be for her to be able to do that. So Jen Thompson, Joseph Amadola to hit 265 kilo, 585 pounds, extremely impressive as well. Hats off to Joseph Amadola. John Hack in the untested. Bench pressing 272.5, 601 pounds is freaking absolutely insane. A world record for John Hack and the untested side. I'm going to go with John Hack on the tested side for the women. I'm going to go with John or sorry, with uh, Jen Thompson and I'll go with Joseph for the men's and um, someone's probably going to, I think Roy's probably going to bring up Raya Stin. if we're going to do the equipped during this or wait till afterwards, but I'll let you guys go while my wifi is still cooking. You go ahead, Aaron. All right,
2: I'll go with mine then. For the women's side, I went with uh, Mahalia Reeves for my best bencher um, because she was 18 years old and she broke the open world record bench press, 164.5 kilos, and she ended up with the biggest bench on the women's side in the IPF for the year at 165 kilos that she had did at nationals. So Just having the biggest bench for the year, having the world record in the open as a sub junior, um, it kind of reminds me of another lifter from Florida high school weightlifting, Leanne Hewitt, where as a sub junior she broke the open world record deadlift. So now we have this other person from Florida high school weightlifting, Mahalia, who is able to finally get to an international meet and break that uh, world record total, uh, world record bench press, and she did it at such a young age. So I put her there for my women's side, and then for the men's side I had to put in uh, Eddie Berglund. Um, I know we talked about how he's like a, a full power lifter now, but that bench is still ridiculous. It's still a huge thing for him. And that really helped him as far as weighing the world. And then he went up to the 74s for Europeans and was able to break the world record bench press there. So at Worlds, he did 202.5 in the 66s. And then a couple months later, he went up to a light 74 and did 212 um, to break that world record. So Gotta be one of the best benchers in the world. Um, since you can do it in multiple weight classes, and I put him as my best bencher for this year. Um, I'll throw it over to Tori next. Who do you have?
3: A uh, female bench of the year. Definitely had Jen Thompson there. It's just crazy that she's still making progress at this yeah. point. And yeah, like you said, after the injuries and stuff, it's it's awesome to see. Um Men's, if we're talking about untested, then obviously John Hacks' 600-pound bench press is insane. Um, And then at Equipped Worlds this year, there was also, um, I think it was a Ukraine lifter, uh, Musienko. He benched 351 kilos as a 93, which is more than any 105 or 120 plus. So that is a huge bench press. Um, And then uh, another one that I had was this guy named Rory Lynch, he hit an all-time VR, not once, not once. He hit it twice. Oh, wow.
2: so, I was waiting for right. the moment. <laughs> I felt bad. I was
1: talking shit yeah. about you before, and now you're trying to be nice to me.
3: <laughs> yeah, he tops all of them, I would say. <laughs> So wow. check this guy out.
0: <laughs> All right, well I'm sure he's vmooing you money or whatever the shit that was. V- <laughs> All right, Rory, who do you have for your picks?
1: Okay, so my 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 top overall pick is um Jonathan kaiko Mr. Consistent. But I've got a whole bunch of honorable mentions as well. Um, like it's hard to go past uh, Agnes Shiko who you know breaking the world record as a as a junior multiple times. Um, Aston, did she bench two twenty eight? Is that what she benched at at the World Games? Like incredible right like absolutely amazing um jennifer thompson great pick uh the fact that she has been so good for so long and is still continuing to improve is really impressive um as ryan framed it she's been walking this earth for more than 50 years you make it sound like she's a vampire or something but like (laughs) you know she's she's definitely getting to the age that we no longer expect people to make continued progress like it starts becoming a little bit sporadic and you know at, at that age and but she's still just making like slow but but consistent progress and that's that's really cool to see um eddie berglund of course like I, I mentioned before that i i really think of him as a three-lift lifter now but his bench is still a weapon um joseph Amendola, um daiki kodama like there's been some really great bench presses this year all
2: right who wants to uh start us off for delifter of the year you want to go ryan
0: yeah i'll go while, uh, while my wi-fi is cooking um <laughs> For the untested, let's start on the untested first. It's got to be Tamara Walcott. This deadlift—it's the biggest deadlift in uh, in all of women's powerlifting, two hundred ninety kilos. She's done it on Ellen. She's done it in all the different TV shows. She's got another TV show booked, and I forget which one it is. But Tamara Walcott—it's got to be Tamara Walcott for me in terms of the untested, six hundred thirty-nine pounds. And on the men's side, John Hack at ninety kilos deadlifted 410 kilos 904 pounds that's in a 90 kilo class john hack pulling 410 kilos 904 pounds it's freaking insane to be doing that in a 90 kilo class so john hack um but danny grigsby in the untested as well pulling um 487.5 kilos that's 1075 pounds it's freaking, so I can't, I don't know. You flip a coin which one you like better Um, because they're they're both absolutely insane. I believe Grigsby is the first one to pull over a thousand pounds in a full power three lift meet as well. So he's making history as well. He's an absolutely phenomenal lifter and had him on the podcast. He's a super nice guy. So flip a coin which one you want there. Um, they're both phenomenal lifters. On the tested side for the men's, horror, the 83 kilo deadlift demon, with um was it 362.5 800 whatever pounds with the kilo conversion but more importantly to me making bedlifter a year and i know it's crazy because it's a missed lift but that 385 he locked out and just couldn't hang on to it 847 pounds He needs an 83 kilo male it literally is the type of thing that makes you just believe anything's possible like on that day he could have loaded up almost anything and he would get it right within lockout he locked it out it's insane to think he locked that out um i still can't believe it so anyways definitely on the tested side he's the male uh deadlifter of the year for me and for the women's it's got to be jess not only did she do the biggest deadlift in women's tested powerlifting, but she didn't just do it at a local meet. She did it at IPF Worlds, and she just didn't do it at a local meet where she was relatively unopposed and could sandbag some lifts, kind of pull back a little bit and go all in on her last deadlift. She's breaking world record squat in the fight of her life and then unloaded when she needed to at a world level against I got the shit go no less. So, significance wise, as well as breaking world records, squatting everything ahead of time so there's no sandbagging and um, passing IPF world judging. It's got to be Jess Bittner for me.
2: Um, I'll jump in and go next because Ryan has the same picks as me for the women's side to have Jessica Bittner for all the things Ryan just mentioned. And coming into this year, she had the world record delve at 247.5. So she's bumped it up now from 247.5 to 261.5. And as you said, there was a pull for the win. And she has the biggest delf now. So she delves more than the eighty-fours, eighty four pluses, and all the other weight classes. So I had to put their put her in as number one. And on the men's side, with Anaharo as well, looking at his uh, the 83s, the delf coming in was 338.5. So he bumped up from 338.5 to 362.5 and that wasn't even his final attempt. He tried that you know, 385 Hail Mary for the overall win and it would have been one of the biggest Delphs in IPF as well since a lot of these other weight classes, they're around 380 to 390 for the world records. And so he almost got it. He just couldn't quite lock it out and keep his balance. Um, so those were my two picks. What do you got, Tori? Uh, for females, I
3: also had Jess, because the heaviest deadlift in the IPF, I think that deserves deadlifter of the year. <laughs> and then for males, I actually had Chance because he pulled 373.5 to actually secure the win. And although like Anna is obviously an amazing deadlifter and it's crazy that he locked out 385, like Chance like won with 373.5 and like that's not that far behind you know and i kind of forget how difficult the pull actually was but like was there anything left there like could he have pulled more but like the fact that he pulled it to win like for me that's you know <laughs> he yeah, may lift so it makes him deadlifter of the year for sure yeah it definitely helps
0: when it's <laughs> clinching a world title
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> rory
1: um obviously i've got jessica as well right very hard to look past like kbs <laughs> raw deadlift by a woman the ipf like incredible uh also just like clutch timing like it's one thing to be you know unopposed or have already won and put something big on just to prove that you can do it versus uh i am here to win i'm going to load exactly what i need to win even though i'm not going to get the world record total and half a kilo more would have got me the world record total um and, and and pick it up and that was very cool um I, I have only picked a woman uh, like a woman's deadlift of the year as I've been doing for all of the categories, but some like honorable mentions from the men's side. Um, In a horror of Saints three eighty five. I, I I seem to think it was a little bit further away from being uh, like a good lift than some people do, but still amazing, right? Like I I don't I don't care. It doesn't really matter how far it was from him getting it. The fact that he picked it up is 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 incredible, especially because it was like forty five kilos over what the world record was prior to that. Um, chance mitchell with the 373.5 again awesome and he actually made that one um so 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 that was very cool as well uh and one that really stands out for me even though it possibly wasn't memorable across like for for a lot of people was um the 335 by gavin aiden um and in particular that was memorable for me because he so he opened at 305 missed his 320 second attempt seemingly on strength like i don't know if you specifically remember it but if you haven't you go watch go back and watch the video it looks like he's just not strong enough to pick it up right um when he goes out the back gathers his chi and finds another gear comes back and hits 335 like eight minutes later um and you know (laughs) missing a deadlift putting 15 kilograms on it Locking it out, put him temporarily in third. Um, unfortunately, so, uh, other people still deadlifted afterwards, and so like bumped him off the podium. But you know, he for a while there he was he was in third with more than he thought was going to be capable. He was going to be capable of on the day after having missed the second, going up fifteen kilos. Like it, it didn't turn into a win. It didn't turn into an overall medal. But like cool moment from like a sports perspective and like a mindset perspective and all of those cool things.
0: I remember when that happened and in commentating, I, w- I was like, right, that, that's a wrap for Gavin's day. It looked like strength. It looked like he yeah. was done on strength to go up 15 kilo regardless. You're thinking, as a commentator or viewer, he's going to tug on the bar. He's pulling for position. So you do it because you're here. You're going to tug on the bar. You're going to miss. Wave to the crowd. Thanks. I had to do what I had to do. We're here. Let's pull for the podium. When he hit that 335, I remember afterwards, he didn't have the day he wanted. I was like Gavin, you showed a lot of heart, man. Like you, you could have easily packed your bags and be like, fuck it, this isn't going my way. This it wasn't going my way in squats, not going my way in deads. And his family was there, his brothers and sisters flew in, and his mom and dad were there. And um, uh, it was one of those deals where, like, you had to he talked about it on the podcast, the Christmas special, where his he was upset, and his mom's like it ain't over, man. You got to, you know, this, you don't, you don't pack your bags when it gets tough like that. So for him to go back out there and wrap up the day, 15 kilo jump when he missed on strength and to lock it out, it was, it was pretty cool to see.
1: Yeah. So I, w- I was coaching Gavin in that session. And, uh, like, so obviously I, w- I was there for, for, for all of these th- things that were happening. And, um, the Swedish coach Oscar Bjork, who was, um, coaching Gustav Hedlund came up to me afterwards and he's like, I thought you guys were out and I rated all of my maths based on the fact that you were going to miss your last deadlift. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. All right. We all want to move on to uh, dark horse.
0: Dark horse. I didn't even know we were doing dark horse.
2: I mean, you have a listed on your, what you sent to do us. I, really
3: Are doing dark horse for this year or for next year.
2: It's who's going to be the dark horse going into next year.
3: Oh, okay. Who to watch people to watch me. Okay.
2: Rory, did you do anything?
1: i did are, people to watch people to watch and dark horse the same thing because that feels like i don't like think it is
0: so i well, think you changed depends, the term yeah. <laughs> so dark horse this is what dark horse means to me maybe it's different i'm not saying i always got it i thought that was the underdog that people are sleeping on that you think is going to that's, could that's win. what i
1: would think is a dark horse but that's not what i have picked
3: out
0: that's not what i, I picked out either horse i have something
3: people- that already succeeded that we didn't think was going to succeed
0: yeah, we're all on the same different pages
3: here. <laughs> and and, and I'm, I'm
2: doing who's going to do next year because that's what we've done before. Like previously, yeah. I had Gavin as my dark horse because he was doing local meets, putting up big numbers, and he hadn't gone to nationals. And yet, being a dark horse, going to nationals and, and pushing Jonathan Keiko to the brink that year. So, got
0: you. Let's just do our own interpretation. Before you go, though, explain <laughs> what you're doing.
2: All right, Ryan, you want to give us your people to watch?
0: Okay, here's my people to watch. Hold on one sec here. Um, so lifters to watch in 2023 off the hop jamar royster when he moved into the 82.5 and did what he did with an 832.5 i believe it was now he's within 10 kilo of russ and russ has had days where he's in the 830s still as well so maybe he's even less than that russ has finally got competition again and um, i don't know if we're going to have a return to him versus brett gibbs style rivalry but um it should be fun to watch. I'm hoping Russ returns to 82.5. Obviously, we all know he went to 90. Let's see what happens. But nonetheless, whether if Russ moves up to 90, keep your eyes on Jamar because this could be his division to take over. Who knows? And if Russ comes back, well, he could be in the biggest showdown of 2023 or among them, anyways. Someone else to keep an eye on. Um, obviously Bob Matthews, but that's easy, low-hanging fruit. And he's finishing the year with massive dots. Keenan Lee obviously again kind of low hanging fruit but how about Sean Jin who in the junior worlds did a ni- a 797.5 and he looked like he had a lot of room to spare. I'm anticipating Sean's going to make a major push in PA Nats um in the open and I don't know what's going to happen. He's right there with Delaney Wallace. He's right there with whoever else comes over to the IPF side 83s. Keep an eye on that young man. I think he's going to do something big. Um, as well as Gavin Aiden. He's another lifter to watch. I think Gavin did not have the 2022 that he wanted, but if you remember it's 2021, he's more than capable. He pushed Jonathan Keiko to within half a kilo. He did an 880, and he is definitely capable of having improved upon that. My expectation is he will do so in 2023. Some other ones, Jad Jacob, we've already said a million times, she's only 21 years old but already the open world record holder in the 57s and um some of those calls didn't go her way at euro she could easily have been over 500 we had natalie richards on the podcast just a couple podcast episodes ago and she's like man i thought she i thought if the judges would have gave it to her and i would have gave it to her she'd be over 500 already as a 57 international level so jack up keep your eyes on that young lady as well as sucka in the 52s me and arian had said in the preview show we love it when we get them right don't we arian we said a lot of people are probably sleeping on her she would have been a dark now that would be a dark horse that would be uh, the term i would say for dark horse <laughs> not many people or a sleeper of the division um to me it's real close so not many people would have looking her way and we're saying she's gonna podium she is that quality. It's just COVID and injuries have kept her off the radar. Now she's on everybody's radar. And I think she's going to live up even further at the World Championships. But she's on people's radar now. They're going to see it coming now. But I think she's going to live up. And obviously, Carlina, um, she's a bit of a sleeper in that you got to be a hardcore fan to know her because she wasn't on the world stage yet. And that's really where you break through and people are going to see you. Commonwealth is big and, and she's proven with IPF International judging. But the stream-wise and everything it is going to be as big as when she's in a massive clash against a star like Jess Bittner. Or if Agatha is at Sheffield and Jess and Agatha battle and then she takes on the winner of that, or if she's at Sheffield, however this plays out, 2023 is going to be massive for her. Everyone's going to see her coming. Um, and we're doing our part on KOTL, giving her a lot of uh, repos so that people do see her coming. But she's a lifter to watch as well. I'm throwing a bunch of people out there because I think it's it's a, there's a lot of people people got to look out for.
2: Yeah. Rory, did you also do people to watch? I did.
1: Yeah. So I, I'm going to throw a bunch of names out there and I'm going to couple at the end that I that I want to focus on. Um so like a whole bunch of people that I'm going to be keeping an eye on for the coming year. I don't know if I would call them dark horses, but like people that I'm excited to watch um get into it. Um so uh Gavin a- Aiden, uh Anatoly Novopasmeny, assuming that he can come back and like, you know, get out of Ukraine occasionally. Um Jad Jakob, uh both of the payros, um Nico and Clara uh, though Nico have just had a had a child, so um, but the couple that I really want to focus on are two two New Zealanders, uh, Evie Corrigan and Megan Lee Smith, and so I think they both came fifth in their respective divisions at Open Worlds this year, um, and I think that if you are in either of those divisions, and you are not watching. You are making a really big mistake because both of those women are making incredible progress. Both really consistent lifters. Um, I was looking at Megan Lee's stats the other day, and she has never missed a third squat in competition. Um, she's only missed two squats ever, both of which were second attempts that she came back and hit them on her third. And she's never missed a third squat. Um, and like that's she squat. She was one of the five or so people who squatted over one sixty in the fifty two kilo opens uh, at Worlds this year. Um, like, if you're not paying attention. You're gonna have a real problem with the New Zealand woman, particularly in the lighter classes.
0: What was her last total? It's freaking crazy, and she pulled uh, to break the world record. To...
1: Yeah, she did pull to break the world record. I would need to look up. Give me a moment. I'll just pull it up.
2: Are you saying uh, New Zealand has shooters?
1: I would. I would say that New Zealand has shooters. Uh, uh, the Four, 4 twenty-four Champions...
2: point five.
0: There, there we go. Arian's, Arian's still. I know that was the New Zealand
1: Championships. The Commonwealth Championship results aren't on. Open oh, they or...
2: haven't put them in yet. That's why Carlina six hundred is not in
0: there either. You
1: wanna, you I'll look it on up on Instagram. Twitter. You keep talking. Oh, you'll look it up on Instagram. Yeah. So, yeah. like, I I think a lot of people have not paid a lot of attention to Megan Lee Smith, and I don't really know why because she is phenomenally good. Right? Like, she is a very good athlete. She's very consistent, um, and and she's continuing to make really good progress, like year on year. So. I I don't know for sure, but I suspect she's gonna be at Malta. And I, I would I would be saying that she'd be gunning for for a podium finish. Um and I've said this to last year as well, but Evie is going to Sheffield. She is going to Malta. Um and I think she's gonna be gunning for a podium finish as well. And so anybody who's not watching is um should be watching.
2: I think it's uh because Megan Lee Smith only did the 2019 Worlds. Everything else was like New Zealand uh, meets. So she doesn't have like that international reach. People don't know about her. And I think especially if you're not from like North America or Europe, you have to like be really good to be breaking out. You have to be like, you know, Carlina, all of a sudden now 600. Everyone's going to know who she is. Or like Anna Castellane was one of the best from Brazil. Everyone knew who she was. But like the other people kind of fall off. So yeah, maybe if Megan Lee Smith can podium um, at, at Open, then that's going to really get her her name out there. You find it, uh, Ryan?
0: Yeah. So it wasn't, she pulled 185 for a 438 kilo total because uh, she thought, what the hell? Let's go for the world record total. Missed it. So it was a jump from 170 that she secured with her second dead because she missed 170 as an opener, retook it on her second. So that was her opening weight, and then she ended up jumping to 185. So she's 15 kilo back from 438, so that would put her at 423, right? So whatever. She's done a stitch more, but the point is she was within earshot of the world record with only her opening deadlift weight because she had to retake the opener, and then she just went all in for a world record. So we don't know exactly where her top end is, but it's somewhere between – Silver medal in a world record. (laughs) So she's up there.
2: Like just looking at the totals in the 52s for this year, obviously they're not all in from uh, Commonwealth and other meets, but Noemi's number one. Shizuka's number two. Tiff is number three, who, you know, she just didn't cut weight one time. And then Megan Lee Smith is number four. So really, if you take Tiff out, she's number three as far as the best total this year from people with regular 52s.
0: And where's Seca? What's that? Where's Seca on that
2: list? She's at number seven.
0: Who's who's ahead of her?
2: Plume's number five and Steph Keane's number six.
0: Yeah, and they're and they're all within like a kilo or so of each other then because Seth yep. is also in the 420s. It's crazy.
2: Well she has a uh, four four fifteen. Um oh, because maybe the that meet's not in yet either. Oh no, that's in she did four fifteen at your it? Okay, okay. Steph that's did right. four twenty-two point five, Plume did four twenty three point five, and Megan Lee Smith did four twenty-four point five.
0: Yeah, yeah you're right no I was thinking um Seké did more in the gym but she's gonna we'll see what she does yes
2: all right, all right Tori you want to give us uh, your dark horses for this year
3: um okay so for I was actually thinking from the states as well like Sean Jane was one of the first people that popped into my head because I don't think he really like left it all out on the platform at um junior worlds I think there was a lot more there for him which is kind of crazy because he totaled did he total 800 or he was, uh, was at 797? 797.5, yeah. Just oh, Okay. So, like, just, yeah. So he was number one on my list. And then I was thinking, Joseph Bornstein, right? He's 20 years old. I think he totaled like 780 in the 75 kilo class, which is, uh, 560 dots. So, yeah, he it's crazy. What he, yeah. It is <laughs> insane right what he's doing as well. Yeah. Um, and then for females, I'm going to say Jessica espanol because, I mean, I don't think the there's much going on in the... Well, you mentioned Me- Megan. She's 47 or 52, Rory? 52 now. 52 now. Okay. So she's not in the 47s anymore, but like there's not much battle going on there in the 47s. So uh, I guess it'd be like Tiff, uh, Heather, and Jessica, but we haven't really seen jessica yet because she just moved over to powerlifting america um but i guess the issue there is like we're not going to see all three of them battle it out it'll probably just be two of them right you could if okay
2: because it depends on uh with the with Powerlifting america who does nationals and who does sheffield to try and get into nationals and then also with those high Totals that you need to hit to get the automatic spot, you might be able doubling up in certain weight classes. So you could have a situation okay. where you have Tiff, Heather, and Jess all at worlds.
3: Yeah, that would be awesome to see because obviously Tiff is one to watch next year. um But then if she had some competition, if she can be pushed by Jess, that would be amazing to see as well. And Jess is making very good progress. She's young as well, so the, she's a lot of room to grow, and her lifts are blowing up right now. So. Huge bench.
0: You like those benches, huh, Tori? <laughs>
1: Not anymore. <laughs> <It's a bench. laughs> Tori is always going to like bench presses. Uh, so,
2: <laughs> so I put a I put a few names down as well of like possible dark horses for next year. And also, yeah, it depends on what you consider a dark, dark horse as far as like what level they're at right now. So some of the um, names, I'll start off with the women. One is Nally Richards. So she's a dark horse in that she's switching federations and she hasn't performed well at the higher level meets. She has these big numbers at local meets, but then she obviously bombed out a national. So now she's switching federations and going straight into a national championship and then potential world championship. So two high level meets, never done the international competition. And oh, by the way, you're going into this really hard weight class with Joy Namani and Jad Jacob, Maria T, Evie Corrigan, all, all Bobby Butters, and everything like that. So I think it's a dark horse play that she has high potential. She has the potential to switch federations, win nationals, go to worlds, win worlds, and maybe have the first person to break 500 kilos in the weight class, or be the only person over 500, or maybe have the biggest total. So she has a lot of potential there as far as the upside. Uh, Another person as far as potential is uh, Sonita Mulu. So I was looking up her numbers, actually, she could have been like a uh, most improved as well. Like last year, Her best total was 542.5 kilos at the silent worker meet. She went from 542.5 to 661, the second highest total in the 84 plus kilo class. She's about 14 kilos behind Bonica's best total and about 10 kilos behind her world record total. So she has huge potential for next year as well. What if she's the one who dethrones Bonica? Even if she doesn't dethrone her, if she just puts up, you know, another PR total and she gets silver medal at Worlds, that's going to be big. From going from a, you know, five hundred forty-two point five kilo total. Um, also, like Tori mentioned, Jessica Espinal, she won the nationals on USA PL side. She's switching over now. She has the best total for the US women in the forty sevens. Now she has the chance to, you know, win the Pal of the American Nationals, go to Worlds and potentially be a threat for TIFF or maybe even win. You know, she's the same age, the same year of birth as TIFF. So they're both young, up-and-coming lifters, both improving at a rapid rate. So she has a huge upside as well. On the men's side, again, like Tori said, Joe Borenstein he kind of was sitting 737 to 745 for a few meets. He won team nationals, got second at the mega nationals in the open, um, but his total wasn't moving that much. Then he had this huge jump to 780 to finish off the year. So that's huge potential. Um, Austin, he hit that 800. We thought he was going to be, you know, potential to go from there because he was still a junior and potentially pushing Taylor, but he's been dealing with some injuries and stuff like that, that have held him back. Now Joe Bornstein is the potential. Can he get to 800? Can he maybe push? You know what's capable of in the 74s and the 75s going forward in future years? And then, I guess maybe a, a really dark horse because I have no idea what he's doing, and most people don't know what he's doing as far as training until he shows up to me is Deuce Gruden. He put up oh. 817.5 kilos twice this year um, at the Arnold and at the Nationals for USAPL. So. That's pretty high total, especially a lot of lifters are talking about what they can do in the 83s, but you see a lot of them falling around 800. Sean Jin, Delaney, Wallace, Jerns, they're all around 800. But Deuce has hit 817.5 twice now this year, PR total for him and we'll see where he can go from there if he goes usapl side he can push maybe russ and jamar and angelo and these guys if he switches to the ipf side he could be pushing delaney and jerns and anoharu and these guys so he has huge upside on both and potentially to be a national champion and world champion on the ipf side
0: yeah agreed that's a good pick
2: um the only other thing i saw down on the list uh, ryan i don't know if you want to do them is you had listed what was the best event of the year. And then of course the news story of the year. Do you want to do those?
0: We can look at event of the year for me was still IPF open worlds. Um, I think it's a tough one to contend against mega Nats was big, but I, uh, it just wasn't quite IPF worlds for me, but call me biased. I was at IPF worlds and had to hop online to grab highlights of, of mega Nats. So I'm sure some people are going to flip between the two on the untested side. They had some big events. Um, Definitely the American Pro was one of the better events that I had seen. Um, I'm not quite sure. Nothing quite like, you know, a week-long. Euros was actually pretty good this year as well. If we didn't have the bomb outs we had, I think Euros would be right up there as well. Like, they had some good showdowns, some good clashes, some good performances, world records, some breakthrough performances as well. But some of those bomb outs really hurt the euros because some of those bombouts were key high level people bombouts happen all the time if he calls happen all the time where it's right on the line oh my god it could go either way and they went the other way and the person bombed it's different when it happens to an elite person that's popular and then if it happens several elite people that are popular it's just you know it is what it is um but in terms of i'll let i'll let you, know, you guys talk. Go first. Go ahead.
2: I mean, I'm sure we're all gonna say the same thing. I'll just come in and say I thought Classic Worlds was the best. Um, obviously, it's a World Championship, so it's a very high level. Um, the Quality of the lifters, they have mega nationals has a lot of lifters. You know, many times USAPL has done meets to over a thousand lifters, but you still have the top people, and then you have like a big gap, which is why they also did the prime time to kind of split it up. The classic worlds, you know, is less lifters, especially now it's only the open, but it has that high quality. Like we said, the battle of the 93s, the battle of the 57s, the battle of the 76s, the battle of the 66s. You had either two three or five lifters battling it out for the world title and even more battling out for the podium. And then also as far as like just the quality of the live stream, the Viva TV crew has continued to improve like the type of cameras they use, the angles, the replays, the graphics they put on there to make it more of a professional look. I know a lot of people were complaining about like the USAPL mega nationals, the quality of the stream last year, maybe even this year wasn't as good um, as far as like actual physical cameras and what they were streaming at, and some of the graphics compared to like a worlds um and then as far as the in-person experience it's tough with all these meets like people say you know ipf worlds isn't that big and there aren't that many people cheering sure but like i've heard similar things about like the virginia pro it looks good on camera because you're seeing the big screen in the back and you're seeing these big lifts but when they show some other shots or people show their pictures it's in a gym and on the other side there's people literally training. Like there's photos of people doing hack squats and getting the workouts in while they're running the Virginia pro on that side. So I think across the board of all meets, we're still in a small sport. It's still powerful. thing. People aren't traveling to all these meets just to like in the crowd and, you know, drink a beer, have some popcorn and cheer and stuff like that. So I think it's kind of even across there. So that's why I thought the classic world was number one. Um, uh,
0: American pro apparently was really good in-house on the untested side. But um, anyways.
2: Uh, who wants to go next, Rory? Yeah,
1: sure. Of course, uh, Open World's incredible event. I think I don't remember who I first heard describe it as being Coachella for meatheads, um, but I, I really <laughs> like that description. And like, <laughs> there's this electricity at the event that's like hard to describe and hard to replicate anywhere else. Like every every session is excellent. Um, it runs in a timely manner, and so like you know, like even as a spectator or somebody who's participating as like a, as a coach or a lifter you can you know that you're going to be able to watch the things that you want to be able to watch it's not going to sh- spread out for 7 hours for one session like the the lifting is great the refereeing is consistent some people would argue that it's it's harsh or whatever but it's it's of a particular standard and you know exactly what that standard is going to be um of course I do have to shout out for commonwealth championships as well like that was an enormous event uh, like a little bit shy of 700 lifters uh, the quality of the lifting was really good. The quality of the event itself was really good. Like the venue was great. The live stream was really good. The, um, the whole experience for the lifters was really good. It was like the first time that I've been to a meet where the opening ceremony and the closing ceremony are like really enjoyable parts of the event rather than just being like a, like a formality sort of tacked on the beginning and the end. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that as well.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I didn't see the opening ceremony, but I've heard from multiple people. The whole opening ceremony of Commonwealth was like one of the best things they've ever witnessed. Uh, what do you got for us, Tori?
3: Yeah, I'd have to say open worlds in South Africa is probably one of the best events I've ever been to. Um, But one thing that bothers me with the IPF is like the inconsistency with <laughs> their venue choices for the events. Because like South Africa was absolutely amazing. But then like, Turkey, like what was going on there? <laughs> so it was like, certainly
1: an experience.
3: <laughs> it was an experience. So, like, I mean, as a junior, like when you're if you went to open worlds and you're like you're watching lifters there, you're like, this is amazing. Like, I want to be lifting on on this stage and like this production quality. Like, I feel like a real athlete, but then you're somewhere like the Esther Diamond Hotel, and it's like I don't really feel excited to lift here. And I feel like they put a lot less uh, like thought and money or whatever into this event. So and for lifters that are like the next generation of the sport, like it kind of it's kind of unfortunate because um, it like I don't know makes a lot of us less excited to like. I, I, think, to the, the I
2: think the argument, though, in defense of uh, Turkey was that the Junior Worlds was supposed to be and it was Ecuador and they moved it last okay. minute to Turkey and the University Worlds was supposed to be in Russia as the University um, World Games or whatever was a part of that. And again, that was moved last minute to Turkey. So they had to find someone who's willing to take on maybe one or two world championships on short notice when usually you get a bid maybe a couple of years early and you can plan for it. Um, so... Unfortunately, that, that there is, in general, though, inconsistency, depending on yeah. what federation or meat director puts in the meat and what, what they have, I think, or I'm hoping going forward, it's going to be maybe a little more consistent because you see now Worlds is in Malta, which Malta is not really a big member federation. They don't send anyone to Worlds. It seems like maybe the IPF may be just picking a location and then bringing everything there and doing everything themselves. And now they can pick wherever they want, potentially, and just send everything there and we'll get maybe more a consistent meat.
3: Yeah. Because um, even when it's in like Sweden, it's always amazing there. And then South Africa was amazing. But then there's those random places every once in a while. And it's like, why? Why here? Um, but I guess another event that I was impressed by, although like I wasn't there, but when I was watching the live stream um, was the, fall, like, the Virginia Pro that like just happened. Um, just the commentary and everything was so good and I was so entertained the whole time. Although there was a lot of really good lifters there, just, um, yeah, the, it felt like I was watching like ESPN, like I was watching sports (laughs) center. It was so nice. Um, so if we had, um, I guess a bit more consistent commentary, like with more people in the IPF as well, that would be awesome. Um, and then, like, the transitions that they have, like, I think it's like TSG events that does that, but it's that's all like super professional. And for viewers that are watching online, like, um, yeah, it was amazing.
0: IPF commentary is the best in the business, pal. <laughs> uh,
2: I mean, the IPF does great stuff. I, I, I don't, I know some people don't like that style, but I personally, Tori, totally, I like that style too of making it more professional. It's like an actual like newscaster table or like it's like a table and people are actually, the commentators are dressed up nicely, actually see them talking while the lifting is going on in the background. kind of like, you know, a football game and it might be warming up in the background while the commentators are talking pregame and everything like that, which is kind of what, um, SBD and Ryan did as well for the uh, pal of the American nationals. It's like having Ryan do like an introduction on the platform with the microphone walking and talking, everything like that. And then doing interviews on the side where you're bringing a lifter or a coach in and doing interviews and Ryan's dressed up nicely and you have someone come in, you go a microphone or like that. It kind of like extends it to the next level rather than just having a commentators table and it's just a laptop and they just talk and you never see them.
0: Yeah. I would yeah, like to see I that for that. sure too. So yeah.
3: Good. And then the, like, intermission or like the 10 minute break was uh like the lifter interviews so like i literally sat there for like the whole the whole time (laughs) the meet was running like the whole like four hours probably watching it all because it was so good (laughs) yeah maybe i'm the only person on this planet that would do
0: you're a powerlifting nerd
1: you're like they're all press. powerlifting nerds let's be honest like, <laughs> cool. what are we doing here
3: i was gonna say
2: ryan like, if i have to go to the bathroom i just pull like the good lift live stream or whatever on my phone and then you just go oh, pee God. and then you come back and go back, <laughs> you
1: to, go back to the living room <laughs> i gotta say one of the um one of the photographers at commonwealths was shooting at commonwealths and he had the euros score sheet on his phone and so every time in between lifts he was pulling out his phone and checking what was happening at euros putting his phone back in his pocket shooting <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, it is what it is.
2: Should we uh, finish off with news new story of the year?
3: (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. Okay, here we go.
2: Who who wants to start off with this one?
3: (laughs) Okay. It's
0: yours, kind of. You go ahead.
3: Who is affected most? (laughs) Okay. uh, (laughs) New story of the year. Bench rule change announced by Gaston at junior Worlds in turkey
0: uh yeah okay. in, for sure
3: yeah that's gotta be the story of the year I, I mean and he said he said at the banquet this will not affect a majority of the lifters and the more i see like him like come out with the specifics of this i think more people are going to be affected than we think and then the other thing is we don't have a lot of uh, we don't have a lot of details or like our referees aren't getting proper. Um, they're not getting training on like what the rules actually are. So we we don't really know what's going on yet. We're going to have to wait until the first meet of the year to see how many people are actually going to be affected and what the rule actually is. I guess we don't even know what the rule is because like, what yeah, they put so- in the like right now is a bit different than what.
0: Uh, than what we've been hearing so right yeah is are things changing already is there a lot coming out from
1: them so 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 the way it was originally framed is that about 95 percent of people at junior worlds would have been quote okay from like according to the the thing that was announced there um and that i think they said only two out of the nine bench records that had been set would have breached the rule so like they they were saying that like not many people were affected by this it's not going to be a big deal Um, and the way that the rule was originally framed, you know, bottom of the elbow below top of the shoulder. Um, there's a few interpretations of that, depending on what you consider to be the top of the shoulder to be, because that is of course a relative reference point that changes depending on exactly how you're positioning yourself. Um, and like the loosest interpretation of that, which would align with the 95% of people are unaffected is like pretty generous. Um, and then there was further clarification at master's worlds that, that was the intended interpretation. It was supposed to be quite loose. It wasn't supposed to affect many people. And then there was additional clarification, again, via an unofficial channel. And so all of these clarifications have been through unofficial channels, um, which suggested that a much stricter interpretation of the rules is what was originally meant. And actually, that now looks more like more than 50% of people, by my guess, are going to be affected, including myself. I watched a video of my own bench from the back angle yesterday. And Two of the three reps, one of my elbows would not have gone below the.
0: Sorry, do you want to change your pick for bencher of the year? <laughs> Does that affect? Hey, this well, is, like, is a bencher of twenty twenty
3: three. But you might like, like, okay. to make the okay. cut next year. <laughs> next year he's
0: off. Next year he's off the list. Right.
3: <laughs> but so, I might not either. So right. So <laughs> I
1: think it's I think it's quite fuzzy at the moment what how it's supposed to actually be interpreted. Um, and. I put a poll up on my on my Instagram story yesterday of a video of three reps of my own bench. And specifically my right elbow doesn't hit depth on all of the reps, some of the reps, none of the reps, but it's close, none of the reps, but it's far. And it's basically evenly split across the four options. Like not only, is there, <laughs> not, not mm-hmm. only do we not know what the rule is, but seemingly the 300 odd people who have voted on that poll so far can't even agree on what, what that looks like. So um yeah. So, very I mean, fuzzy at the moment.
2: I mean, Rory, a lot of your uh followers disagree with you on what squat depth is as well. So I don't know if you should be trusting the lifters <laughs> on their own impert- interpretation.
1: Even, even if we go ahead and look at uh li- like this is probably one of those things where we should filter out just to, to experts, right? Like random punters who have uh, done one powerlifting meet, like maybe I don't care about that person's opinion of what squat depth is compared to somebody who is an IPF referee. Like if Arian said, yeah, that's depth and some random punter said, that's not depth, I'm going to trust Arian because he's the category two referee, right? Um, but even if we filter down to the people who are experienced and our referees and other people who are going to actually have to be refereeing this thing starting in, what day is it today? <laughs> it's the 28th for me, starting in four days. Um, like. Even if we filter down to those people, which I, I I haven't done numerically, but I've sort of had a scan through who's voted for each of those options. Even those people are split kind of across the four options.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you all. Like, even if we take out the implementation or the way the rules are written just the fact that they announced that this is a new story that there is a bench rule now there's a big rule change and there's bench depth in the sport of powerlifting now i think that automatically makes it the, the new story of the year but then just yeah adding on to that the fact that like okay there's actually three changes there is the elbow depth There is the putting the feet on the bench, and then there's also like your butt having enough contact with the bench. So there's three changes that affect people. A lot of people do put their feet up on the bench, and some people who do arch a lot and are on that limit of is your ha- upper hamstring touching or is your bottom of your glute touching are now going to have to change where more of like the center of their glute is touching. And so it is going to seem to affect a lot more people. And then just, yeah, we don't know what's going on. At the referees, nothing really so far. Um, the fact that two lifters, uh, including so- uh, Sophie Ellis have to go to a IPF coaching course and ask the, re- the coaches and referees there to get more information and disseminate it to all of us and, and different ways of interpreting, like Roy said, is that the top of the shoulder when you're laying down is that the top of the shoulder when you're standing up. what if you then arch now the top of your shoulder is going to a lower point and so all these things is going to just makes it more of a crazy story but just the fact that we have a elbow depth now bench presses and and powerlifting is a pretty crazy
0: yeah the community should have been better communicated should still be better communicated and disseminated however you're going to do this whether it's webinars and whatever it is it's got to be better it's got to be better than this it's got to be done better than this ruled out better than this if we
1: if we assume that arch extreme arching and bench press is a problem, which I actually don't think it was to begin with, but let's let's just say for sake of argument it is a problem, it's something that we want to do something about um, and we're gonna create a bench depth rule. It has to be done with landmarks that are inarguable, right like the bottom surface of the elbow is actually a really good landmark because we can all look at a photo of somebody benching and go that's the bottom surface of it of that person's elbow like right there right. The top of the shoulder is not a good landmark for that respect, particularly if we're talking about how it seems the top while standing up, which then we lie down. Particularly if you're wearing all black, there's zero contrast. Like there's just like this murky blob, and somewhere in there is like the top, right? Um,
0: you can like you see said, you Ryan, with the definition of my shoulders, but
1: right, you see, I, some people were saying, "Hey, I'm going to tattoo a line. I don't have any space to tattoo a line anymore. Like I don't, know, I don't know what you want from it." <laughs> But but like it should be an inarguable landmark and then it should be communicated. Like I think the first place I saw it was on Joey Flex's Instagram story. Like, and it probably shouldn't go out, roll out like that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Agreed.
0: Yeah. I mean, everybody's jumping in to try to, Like I grabbed Sophia Ellis's story and just shared it on King of List, just try to get out there as many people as possible. It shouldn't have to be like that though.
1: I appreciate Sophia doing that. And that was, I think that was actually quite helpful. Um, That interpretation is much stricter than I think a lot of us initially interpreted it. It's clearer. And I now, I think I understand what that is, but it's unfortunate that it has to roll out like
2: that. Right. And then there's yeah. like the additional thing she was talking about where like, Oh, people may just look at the crease of the elbow and the top of the shoulder. Cause then that's kind of like when the bottom is. And it's like, okay, now you're using another reference point. It's like if you're looking at squat depth and you're looking at, Oh, well do the hamstrings touch the calves when it does, then I'm sure their, their hip crease went below the top of the knee. He's right. like, why are we using this roundabout way?
1: Like if, <laughs> if the rules, the rules should say exactly what they mean, right? If the rules say the bottom surface of the elbow, that's the reference point that we should be using. So like if, if the rules meant at the top serve, like the inside corner of the elbow, they should have said that instead. Like I, Mm.
2: yeah, we'll see what happens because even aside from, uh, the interpretation and how it's going to be applied and maybe they make changes to the wording, whatever is, I wonder if they will also change. You know, initially the idea was like, oh, it'll only affect 5% of people, whatever, 2% of people. But what if there's still more complaints and what if there's still a lot of people arching and like, you know, doing a cheater match? What if they then change the reference point and make it more difficult over the years? Like, what if it takes two or three years to get to the elbow dip that the IPF wants, that people will enjoy, and to make the interpretation like easy for everyone? So this might be a long process
3: like no one's gonna enjoy it because their shoulders are gonna be so fucked
0: (laughs) well i don't know if like slow is better if you're gonna do it like that or if i don't know you could go both ways if you like i do i'm not sure if i do like the fact that um they could change some things up if they don't think if they don't think things are working well they could make amendments like okay this is affecting way more people than we thought and it's you know i mean they get there can be some amendments made we're gonna have to see how it rolls out
1: we're gonna have. I think the best thing to do at this point is wait and see a couple of meets. Unfortunately, Sheffield is probably going to be one of the first high-profile meets that we see this role.
0: Well, um, well, well that we do have. Like I'm from Canada, Canadian nationals. It's pretty is big. High-profile meet though. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> All right, but there'll be on. IPF Tell referees you. there. Help me out. Uh, what's that sorry?
2: I said there will be like IPF referees there, so they'll nice. be able to teach the national and low, and whatever provincial right. referees. And you'll be able to see it judged on a lot of lifts because Canada does all their nationals combined. So you're going to have, you know, thousands and thousands of bench attempts to see it. There's also the Reykjavik Games, which is much smaller, but it is an international competition. So you're going to have to have the referees from three different countries in the chair and the jury. So you'll be able to see how that's being applied there as well
0: yeah like canadian nats in terms of the amount of bench attempts there's going to be there's going to be tons in terms of the cat two refs international refs are going to be there there's going to be tons in terms of and there's also pa nats which is also going to have um high profile uh, lifters. i forget about
1: pa nats yeah PA Nats does.
0: with with more international refing, cat two refs there so in terms of we will see category two refs international restaurants listening that are going to be at You know, and tons of attempts going. We'll have hundreds, we'll have thousands maybe of attempts that we can now view. So in terms of data points, by the time Sheffield rolls around, we'll have enough and people start floating around. Let's see what happens.
2: Looks like for other international meets, there's a European Classic Masters power thing uh, starting March 8th and then uh, European University Cup Classic starting March 24th. So those are kind of right before Sheffield too. I'm sure, maybe I'm hoping, but I'll say I'm sure that sbd will make sure for sheffield that they're like whoever the referees are picked for sheffield that they're talking to honey smith and saying like hey for our meet we want to make sure all the referees are on one page when it comes to this bench rule. Let's have a meeting the day before, just like they're bringing lifters and coaches in early. They can bring the referees, make sure they come in an extra day early, have a meeting, make sure everyone agrees, so everything is like you know consistent for that. And then as far as the classic worlds, we do get the bench worlds before classic worlds, so you're going to get a bench only specific championship to really see it before the classic worlds.
0: I mean, Sheffield should honestly have handy as like you said with the refs, and also have a rules meeting with the lifters specifically going through everybody pay attention. The refs are in the room now and we're telling you, this is what it is with the handlers and judges there with the handlers and and coaches there. Sorry.
1: Yeah. Something I would like generally not specific to the, the bench depth thing, but it would help. This is alongside the technical rules, a library of videos of attempts of lifts with, what the from from international meets with what lights they got and an explanation you know here's 100 squats these ones were called high these ones were called for soft knees and these ones were called good this is these are your examples of what these things look like and i think that would help a lot with hey what does squat depth look like i know there's that video there's that uh image in the technical rules but like way more useful would be like here's 100 squats these 30 of them were high um, these ones were borderline and sort of could have gone either way. And these ones were clearly depth, those are your exemplars to use as your reference points. And that would help a lot of people study to be referees. That would help a lot of people learning how to interpret powerlifting. Like I think that would be a really useful thing to be able to, to be able to have. And if we could roll out, hey, here's a hundred bench presses, these 30 were high, these 70 would depth, um, like that that would be really helpful as well.
2: Yeah there's yeah there's some stuff out there like you said in the regular rule book there's the support in the bar on the thighs and then there's the depth and then i know like in uspa they'll have pictures of like well marking where the wrist joint is to show how much above and below you can go on a wrist wrap and they'll actually have like someone's arm and with permanent marker or whatever marking what the locations are so you can like physically see this as a reference point if you're not an expert on what the wrist joint is and how much above and below it seems like they kind of tried that with the bench rule showing some good and bad but maybe they need to show more examples and then for the butt rule it seems like they were just trying to find a picture from a live stream of someone who has a illegal bench, a butt position, but it wasn't a good angle. So people were like seeing this top Very down awesome. view of that. I think it was a Russian lifter and you don't know what the issue is where they really need like a direct side view and showcase okay, enough of their butts not on. It's only their hamstring. This is not good.
0: Like Sophia had a really good picture. Sophia's yeah. pick was dead on. Take a look mm-hmm. at this and had a, an arrow pointing. Be like, do you see how like the contact here?
1: this is the hamstring this doesn't count this is the glute this is where it counts
0: right yeah yeah Yeah, she's man hats off kudos to her man she seriously impacted the game in one weekend
3: (laughs) i actually had no idea about the butt part of the rule like what it actually meant until she made that post so yeah yeah that was helpful
2: Yeah, I was I wasn't sure what exactly they meant to when I looked at the pictures and then people were saying like, oh, like your butt has to be in contact, which before they tried to have a rule that like 50% of your butt has to be in contact. But then like, how do you properly judge that now? It seems like they're trying to go like the center of the butt or whatever, and it can't just be like the hamstring. We'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, that one that one I have to say, I think is a little fuzzy, but I think I'm going to have an as a referee, I'm going to have an easier time interpreting that than um, the depth one, I think, I guess we'll find out.
2: We'll, we'll find out. And I guess it may be on what position you're in. Cause I think maybe for the chief referee, obviously you have the best shot at the elbow depth and you have like the worst shot at the butt. So maybe you call the elbow depth and if the sides have a bad shot at the elbow depth. You're going to get a red from the head and then it goes to the jury and the jury has a good view of elbow depth live and, and, and the replay, and then they can overturn it to the right call. And if the sides don't get to see it.
1: Uh, one th- one clarification that I thought was useful is that the way that the rules are written, it's unclear whether the center referee is supposed to give you a press command if they don't think you've hit depth or not. Um, and it seems to have been clarified that you give the press command regardless, and then you mm-hmm. just give them a red light if you don't think they hit depth. So that seems to have been, like, that is that is the intention. You give the press command even if you don't think they're at depth, and you just red light them afterwards. Not like if they don't touch the chest, you just, like, hang out and wait, I guess.
0: Indefinitely. <laughs> 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 let them die indefinitely fair enough are we all did we wrap them all up
3: here
2: i mean do we all we're all basically in agreement on the bench rule um that is the biggest
3: <laughs> news of the
2: year the, the, the only the only well, other i don't new,
3: think any of us agree with it but <laughs>
2: the, the <laughs> only news other news story right is going to mention because again it goes for all this is like just maybe it's like just the drama of the news story is the especially recently is the whole also ipf rule on not not being able to compete in non-wada events that seems to be a thing that's going around now of like Mm. hey how come Rondell got suspended um and then like jesus wasn't allowed to go do this seminar and lift with his buddies but then people are like oh well look taylor and delaney are going and lifting with their buddies so there seems to maybe be more some clarification because the rule is just very generic and it says like participation in any event. It doesn't say it has to be like a powerlifting sanctioned competition um, because they told Jesus, hey, you can't go do tandem deals for your buddies at a seminar. It's it's a non-WADA event or whatever like that. And it just seems inconsistent for, I think, for a number of years now because before, I remember when um, Wilkes left the IPF and like the Powerlifting Australia and the Oceania Federation kind of like took off to separate to make world powerlifting, Jezza competed in world powerlifting. He went to like all their international competitions and competed there because I guess maybe they didn't know what was going on or maybe there was no other federation, but then the IPF brought him back right after that, back to the IPF and he wasn't ineligible for competing in another federation's international competitions but for rondell who trend tobago wasn't able to send any lifters because they were dealing with some lawsuits and some election stuff within their own country and between two groups and so no one was able to compete he took a bunch of time off and then he goes and does the usa meet but they don't bring him back the way this the way same way that jezza does so it seems to be like some inconsistency on the whole competing in another federation's international competition and now in the non wada thing um People talk about in in Ireland um, how they get to run that apps pro meet, which is a non wada event with tested and untested lifters and bringing international people in. Um, but then we're not allowed to compete like in USAPL or a coach here. So I think that's the other the whole drama that's going on about that right now too.
0: Yeah, the easiest would be to take the rule out. You're always in the water pool. You could always be tested. You can't go against someone who's suspended. But if the event itself, because it's so murky this is gym lifts it's not sanctioned just for fun what are we doing here if you do a, a open workout is that an event now what if people show up what if it's live what if it's streamed is that an event i don't know what's an like, event <laughs> like it's it's just just take off the of that and just say you can't compete with someone compete with someone who's suspended you're probably the, good,
2: right? The, the argument people were saying with that Olympia with Taylor and Delaney, and you're like, well, the Olympia is a sporting organization or body. It's running an event called whatever the cage, wherever they had, and they're lifting there. And also, by the way, Ed Cohn is also lifting in that same cage who is like banned from the IPF. So people are like, oh, well, Ed Cohn is there. How close does he need to be before they're suspended or how far away <laughs> the do they need to <laughs> stay away? I or, oh. And or then like
0: if he's in an event in the morning, you're in an event in the evening. Yeah. And, the same and, venue, but then you got the same venue at Arnold Classic. Everyone's in the same venues. Like it's, it, it's real tough. And,
2: and then like just, that's what
0: the problem with this thing.
2: And then just the other part I wanted to add to is aside from the whole lifting aspect and the drug testing aspect, it's the same thing for referees, coaches, meet directors, everything like that. So like I've done uh, a USAPL athlete camp. I've been a coach for a couple of years. They asked the, the director asked, um, America, if I can do it next year, the USAP athlete camp. And they said, no. So I can't even coach at a USAPL athlete camp, even though I'm a coach and I'm not subject to water drug testing um, because they consider that, that I'm coaching at a non-water event. So it's just really weird.
0: Yeah. I don't think the rules going anywhere, but I would love it if it was, you know, less strict in terms of all of that.
2: I would love that, you know, er, supposedly all the Instagram and social media comments complaining about uh, arching on bench. Made this rule change. That maybe if enough people complain about this this rule, they'll change it.
0: People, I mean, it's not gonna happen. People don't even know. What this is like the terms of like the greater population? You really got to be into powerlifting politics. You got to be super duper powerlifting nerd to know real the real
1: minutia of powerlifting rules, right? Yeah,
0: this is like this is you got to be dig deep,
2: especially because it's much more a USA or maybe North American issue. Like yeah. a lot of these other countries don't have other federations, or their other federations are tiny. It's mostly like, you know, USA, then you can say it's maybe Canada, Australia, uh, maybe England have like, you know, multiple federations. I don't even know in New Zealand, like for if Rory knows, like how big the second organization is compared to the IPF affiliate. It's well, well, nothing like
1: USAPL though. Like. Two events, like it's not, not really a thing.
2: Yeah, so it's, like, really a a major thing, like, here in the U.S., especially for people who want to, like, run a business as far as a coach and try and coach in USAPL but then compete in the IPF where in other countries, you know, you're just competing, coaching, refereeing all in the IPF affiliate.
0: Yeah. Makes things complicated, man.
2: Yeah, it is what it is.
0: So what are we looking at, man? Did we go through all of our categories?
2: That's everything you sent us unless you want to add anything else in
0: there.
1: I'm and good, we have man. been recording for almost three hours at this point.
0: Yeah, I think we <laughs> hit it. This is a pretty good episode. I think we hit everything. I think we're all good. I think we're yeah. all set. One thing I do want to say for the comebacks, um, Lee Norton coming back winning is, is pretty big. And then afterwards, he went on a massive podcast tour. And he's been on tons of big, massive podcasts, um, like some of the biggest of the big podcasts. And um, I mean, he's been on Joe Rogan for God's sake. So having a guy like that be a world champion powerlifter in a in a good comeback, a solid comeback story, and then to be flying the flag for our sport um, is awesome. You Your know, boy Russ was on just and, on
2: Sports and, Center Instagram.
0: That's true too. Yeah, it, it's but interesting. Until,
2: we're, we're, we're you know, just like it's interesting. We're a tiny sport, but like you said, Lane was on Joe Rogan. I think he was on Andrew Huberman. Was it? And he then um, on a bunch, though. But yeah. you know, Russ's tweet got on there on the Sports Center, and I think Jess uh, Delif has been on the Sports Center Instagram account before. You had mentioned Tamara Walcott, who's been, I think, on was it Ellen, and then doing stuff with the Rock. So you know, we're getting out there.
3: <laughs> we're, getting there. we're getting there. We're getting there. You got
2: <laughs> you got what? Leah's on TV. Noemi's
0: on TV.
1: Yeah,
0: they're blowing Mm. up. All right, when are you gonna be on TV? She's on KOTL, kid. She's on KOTL, (laughs) man. This is the top of the food channel. Don't take her from us.
3: Maybe on the food channel. I'm gonna cook up something good. I've been really into cooking these days.
0: Oh god. All right. Should I wrap it up, Arian? Close us out. All right. Everybody, whatever you listen at, whatever platform you're on. give us high ratings please do subscribe as per usual uh post it up in your stories tag us we will repost and until next time six pack lapidat six up and we are out